Hey, if you love the rewatchables, every episode we've done, almost 200 episodes and counting, is available only on Spotify. You can still get any new episode from the last 60 days, but if you want everything dating back to 2017, Godfather, Godfather 2, Jaws, all the classics we've done so far, we have some good ones coming up too. Uh, you can find them all on Spotify. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident, and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is gonna be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it, I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid, featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. We're also brought to you by the Ringer.com and the Ringer Podcast Network. New rewatchables coming on Monday. What about Bob? Bill Murray, a classic. Ageless, 30 years old this year, and it's still fantastic. Me and Van Lathan and Sean Fennessy broke it down. Also tried to figure out where it ranks on the greatest therapist movies of all time. Subscribe to The Rewatchables. There's a lot of rumors, a lot of rumors about the first in-person Rewatchables with me, Chris, and Sean happening next week. And it's going to be one of the biggest movies we could possibly do. A movie that we have been circling for years. So be ready, be ready for that one. Uh, something I wasn't ready for, my daughter turned 16 this weekend. And uh, man, it, it means a couple of things. First, I'm old, so start there. Second, it is really cool when you raise a child and they're actually a good kid and motivated and fun to hang out with and that's really all you can ask for, right? At some point, you know, I guess the one thing I've learned as a parent is at some point, the kid, it's going to be up to the kid, right? You can put your kid in position to succeed. Um, you can kind of walk them through all these different lessons. You could hold their hand in a lot of different ways. You can nudge them towards certain things they're good at. But when it gets to like 14, 15, 16, at some point, it's got to start coming from them and your kids find out, you know, what are their talents? What do they care about? Um, what kind of friends do they want to be around? How hard they want to try in school? What do they want to do outside of school? All that stuff. And um, it's it's really fun watching this little, little tiny child that you raised kind of blossom and grow up and then start deciding their own destiny on stuff. So, um I guess the best thing I could say, because <laughs> they always say it goes fast, uh, 
you hold on for the fucking ride. It goes fast. It's really cool. And it hits a point, you know, when it's a 16th birthday and your default would be, oh my God, I can't believe it. I'm so old. It's, this is going by too fast. I don't look at it that way. I look at it like this has been a 16 year journey. I remember just about everything. It's completely intimate um, for me and my wife, all these memories that we have specifically. And, uh, and, you know, they belong to you. And at some point your kid grows up and that's the way it goes. And they're going to understand things differently than you did. Their generation is going to be wired differently and you can't make yourself crazy about it. You just have to enjoy the ride. So that's where I am right now. And <laughs> at the same time, I'm depressed because I have a 16 year old daughter. Oh my God. I can't believe it. Anyway, Rosillo is coming up. Happy birthday, Z. And, uh, Let's bring in Pearl Jam. All right, Ryan Rosillo is here. It is Sunday night. A lot of good basketball stuff going on. We're getting close to the end of the season. There's some playoff matchup stuff. There's some all-NBA stuff. There's some panic button stuff. We're coming off the NFL draft. Rosillo, when are we going every Sunday? What, what week? Is this the last bi-weekly one? When are we, when are we just, when are we just going? Uh, I don't, yeah, man, I think that's your call more than it is mine, but I'm ready to go. There's so much going on. Let's start with Milwaukee. Milwaukee, the team nobody wanted to talk about all year. Nobody wanted to talk about Giannis winning an MVP, even though his stats were basically as good as they were during the two MVP seasons. People got bored by their four through 12. They got bored by Coach Bud. They've hung in. They win a big game against Brooklyn today. Granted, no James Harden, but it was a game where it had to be your best guy against my best guy. Let's see what happens. Let's pull it out. It's a Milton Burrow game. Let's pull it out. Let's stand next to the urinals and pull it out and see what we got. <laughs> And Giannis pulled it out and and slapped the nets with it. And it was impressive. And I was texting you. I really wanted the Bucs to win a game like that because I had already mentally decided, nah, they don't have it. They're not going to have the firepower. But then we saw today, pretty easy for Giannis to get basically all the shots he wants against that team. Did it change your feelings about their destiny in the East? No, it didn't change him because I think I've tried to be fair about so many of these different teams. Uh, I wish I could come on and say, there's two teams that can win the title and don't talk to me about the rest of them, right? The great radio tees or something that'd be awesome on television. But if there's anything that I'm learning from the season, which is tough to kind of learn anything, is that I have a real open mind about how many different teams can win it. So the no Harden thing is a real factor, but the no Harden thing is becoming this factor where you know, we don't know if he's going to be back before the playoffs and you're just supposed to roll him out and beat everybody. And the scary thing is, is that we're still okay with that being an option because of how great those three guys can be. Today specifically, though, this was a great game. To watch Durant and Giannis duel it out like back in the day, like anytime there's a great regular season game now, I'll be like an hour in and go, hey, this is awesome. This is why I watch all the time. Well, you know what? That's a Isn't that a sad reflection know, on this actually, season? When yeah. we have an awesome game, it's like, oh yeah, this is why I like basketball. I forgot. Like Philly, Utah. Um, there's a couple of Phoenix games recently I got fired up for. Remember the Lakers Philly game? Like we were yeah. texting each other. It was on a Friday night, and you're going like, I think it was maybe it was the third. I forget, but going, oh my god, like this game's awesome. 
look how much fun this is and everybody's trying. This is hard. Phoenix now, has had a couple like that yeah, too. Where, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the weird thing about this one today, though, was that they decided to single cover Giannis and Giannis was hitting from the outside. So if you're going to have DeAndre sagging off of him, which is what you want to do to cut off drive angles, and the way Milwaukee lines up the guys around him, whether it's Drew, Middleton, um, DiVincenzo, um, even Forbes, like it's it's a tough group to help off of. So they were leaving Giannis with all sorts of just cushion, and they weren't helping a ton. There was a couple possessions late or maybe like when Blake was on him, and then they went small where it was Jeff Green. And so Giannis really could kind of do whatever he wanted, and I don't know if that's how simple they would be in a playoff scenario. Well, didn't you feel like it was a little F you to Giannis? It's like, all right, they were even to the bitter end. He was over 40 points and they were still sagging four yeah. feet off him. And they were like, go ahead, keep it going. Let's see. Now let's see if you can do it with three minutes left. Now let's see if you can do it with two minutes left. But I thought he was really comfortable. Um, you're right. When we get to the playoffs, and especially if it's a seven game series, there'll be a lot of doubling and a lot of different stuff. But listen, I really think the Bucs needed a game like this. This is what I was texting you as it was going on. It was like, they just needed one of these. They needed to beat this team. I know Harden wasn't out there, but, you know, I wanted to see them win a your firepower against my firepower game. The reason I, I was really intrigued heading into it was I was doing a lot of recon for this pod we're about to do, and we have all these different things we want to cover. And Milwaukee heading into this game, they're 39 and 24. But if you looked at their stats and you just covered their record, you would assume they would have only had like nine losses this year, right? They're averaging 119.3 a game, which is first. They're second in three-point shooting percentage, which is 39%. They're second in rebounding. Um, defensively, they're fourth in opposing field goal percentage. They're 6.3 point differential. You would just think like, oh, they're having an awesome year. It's not as great as you think, but just like, you know, not watching the games, just looking at the roster and the stats, you think like, oh, this worked. Oh, they're getting a lot out of their bench. Oh, look at Portis. Ah, DiFincenzo, really shooting well. But yet I test wise, I always felt like they were going to be on the short end of the stick in a game like today, which is why I felt like it was so important that their best three outplayed Brooklyn's best two and a half or whatever. So look, we, you and I have discussed every Sunday night for three years now, don't overrate the regular season. At the same time, I wanted to see what they could do in a game where the other guy on Brooklyn was going off. In this case, it was Durant. Durant looked awesome. He made, took 33 shots. He made 16, looked like 2014 Durant. And they kind of weathered it and they kind of gave it back and different guys stepped up. And I think to me, they, they're in the mix. I don't think, you know, Brooklyn, Philly, Phoenix, um, both LA teams. I, to me, Milwaukee has to, has to be considered there. And we've all been gun shy of doing it just because of these playoff losses the last two years. I don't think it's fair. Don't you feel like Milwaukee is the team version of a guy that's won a couple MVPs and it doesn't matter what they do that next year? Yeah, because Giannis is their best player and that's why. Yeah. I think that's a fair way to put it. But, you know, we've talked about the last couple of years, right? They're they're up 2 nothing against Toronto. That was that the series flip, but they easily, I think, a couple of plays... Could have won that one. And then last year, whatever, bubble. You at least have to put a little mini asterisk uh, over blaming them. But, you know. It's just reality, so ugly. It was so it was, ugly. I mean, they got bad. smoked. I and I get it. That's why I don't think I get mad at somebody for being dismissive. I just don't want to be dismissive of them. Now, the other part of this, too, is the Drew Holiday factor. 
Like what he did against Kyrie, I mean, maybe Kyrie was just off today, but Kyrie was a non-factor. I mean, Van Gundy even brought it up because I don't remember a game where Kyrie was having this hard a time shaking somebody. When we're talking about Kyrie Irving, who can literally shake anyone with maybe the greatest set of handles we've ever seen. And he struggled in this one. And we've seen Drew time and time again when assigned to really chase a premier perimeter guy, make it look like, wow, I don't, you know, I'm not used to ever seeing this guy. Like when Devin Booker couldn't do anything with him in big possessions, couldn't shake him. I'm so, glad you mentioned that because that was that awesome Phoenix-Milwaukee game. Yeah. And he played D on Booker on that final possession of regulation. It was the most ridiculous 10 seconds of guard defense you're going to see. Like he weathered was every move. He w- it was like he was stuck to his jersey. And yeah, the Kyrie thing was real. I really did feel like, uh, you know, it wasn't just, oh, Kyrie doesn't have it today. It was like he didn't really want to deal with Drew Holiday. Now, Kyrie will put that in his head and be like, all right, we'll see, motherfucker. Wait till the playoffs. But Drew is, Drew is as good guarding Kyrie as anyone in the league. And it's not a long list. And it also led to Kyrie when they were down three and they got the ball back. Like he pulled up from pretty deep on the right side because you kind of feel like, hey, this is the freest look I've gotten here in a while. And it's I'm not going to sit here and say it's a bad shot for Kyrie. We've seen him make these shots before, but it felt like, hey, I haven't really done anything much. So let me kind of have my moment here and see if I can get this one. He misses it. There was also a block by Giannis on Durant on a jump shot that I don't know. Oh, my God. I don't know that I've ever seen Durant shot block like that. Yeah, that was sick. Can um, we just finish, though, with this? Because as much as we're doing this on, on the open-mindedness of, of Milwaukee, this is the stat that just jumps out whenever I'm looking at these teams going into it. Against 500 teams, Milwaukee going into today is it, it, it winning 50% of those games. They're like 500 team, and Brooklyn's winning 70% of their games against 500 teams, and that's without their three guys barely, you know, barely playing together. And you know, as excited as we are about elements of Milwaukee, on the net side of this, none of this really means that much without Harden because it completely changes all your defensive matchups anyway. And I really don't think Brooklyn would defend Giannis that way in a playoff series. I just don't. I don't think they would wait that long to actually send help at some point. Well, I wonder, you know, we always talk about Brooklyn. Well, you got to wait. These guys, you know, wait till they start playing together. They get the rep, stuff like that. Milwaukee has so many new guys on this team. You go through, you know, how many new guys they have in the bench. Then they had P.J. Tucker. They had Holiday before the season. They had P.J. Tucker basically midway through the season. And I don't know, Tucker against Durant in a series, they have this whole University of Texas history. He he really went at him today. Durant was still getting his points, but um, I feel like I might've been off on the Tucker thing being washed. I've been off on two because I was definitely off on Griffin. Griffin, <laughs> Griffin is way more athletic than he was three months ago. He just is like... Um, I don't think he's the asset people thought they assumed they were getting 2014 Clippers bike. He's not, but he's somebody that could play in crunch time and try to guard Giannis, you know, which is, would you rather have him out there or Jeff Green? I don't know. At least he's a little more physical. The fact that Blake has just accepted this and he's still not that old, but that he's like, Hey, I'm going to take charges. He leads the league in charge taken. He's always been a terrific passer. Glue guy um, break. Glue guy yeah, Blake out of nowhere. He really is. I think it's a good reminder for all of us, too, because at one point, P.J. Tucker was last. He was like 500th out of 500 qualifying players in real plus minus. And, you know, he didn't want to be in Houston either, but he didn't want to be a dick about it. And he goes over to Milwaukee. And as we, I think, have correctly pointed out, all these buyouts that everybody gets so worked up about. And then we, we end up with all these segments about it being unfair. And you're like, you know, history it's, actually says they're really not all that impactful. But 
we should always remind ourselves for somebody that has some kind of pedigree, uh, pedigree and has a competitive nature to them, like a PJ Tucker, that they can just be energized. I mean, Batum's another one. I'll stand by what I saw in the first week. It looked awful. I mean, he wasn't even getting run it with Charlotte. And now he's a legitimate rotation player for a Clippers team that keeps winning despite their main two guys constantly missing games. So there is something to be said of of somebody that it, like, hey, do you at least care a little bit? And Blake seriously cares enough that he's like, OK, fine, I'm not who I was, but I can still help a team, especially because I'm going to have so much space to do all, all this other stuff. And he's doing little things, which I think is really hard for a guy that was living in Blake's neighborhood in the NBA. The other thing with Tucker I mean, he's played 12 games for them. He's averaging three points a game. It's not like he's... But they... No. They don't need scoring from one of the five spots. This is my issue when I look at Philly and I look at some of their lineups and what works and doesn't work for them, where it's basically like Simmons and Tybal are two of the best perimeter defenders in the league. They're probably two of the best five, two of the, two of the best six, whatever you say, but they can't really play them together that much, you know? It's almost like... I wish Tybo was on his own team. I wish he was on like the Celtics or whatever, where he could just be 35 minutes a game as a guy who doesn't need the ball at all. With Tucker, as long as you put the two three-point shooters with him, um, yeah, they could play him in crunch time. I They're going to get something out of him. To me, the bigger part of that deal was just getting rid of DJ Augustine's contract, <laughs> which was, I think it was $7 million this year and $7 million next year. So at least they got it out of that way. Anyway, the Milwaukee thing, um, I think it will become a storyline over the next couple of weeks. Basically what we just did, but a lot of people are like, oh, you can't forget about Milwaukee. So it's they're not going to sneak up on people. It's not going to be a surprise. But in a playoff series, the best player usually wins if the team are, cl are close. And Giannis has, has a chance to be the best player in that series. If Harden's not all the way back, and it's basically Giannis versus Durant, it's going to mirror what we saw today. And Unless wait, Brooklyn, wait. I mean, you don't feel like definitively Durant's still the better player than Giannis? Because I do. I think he's a better offensive player. I think Giannis is more durable. I trust him more to be healthy yeah, but for in, three in straight a, playoff rounds. In a playoff series, though, defending Durant. Ceiling-wise, Durant's better. Yeah, you're helpless at moments where I think even if we're trying to be as, pot as, as positive as we can here about Milwaukee, we've seen too many times, too, where, you know, if he gets shut off, then what? You know, if Durant gets shut off, hey, guess what? The possession isn't over. I may stick one in you, and you, like, there's nothing you can do. So I would take the ceiling of, of shot difficulty making of Durant over what Giannis. You know, I'll go further. I'll go further than you. If you guaranteed me Durant's healthy for the whole playoffs, I take his ceiling over any player we have. I really do. I think he's running all cylinders, the best all-around player in the league. I just don't know if he can do it for two and a half straight months. Do you? History's not on his side. Um, Certainly not. All the concern of like what he would look like, and this is where you know I always kind of have fun about the percentages, but I don't want to hear like maybe he's a little slower defensively, but I'd imagine he's not only you know doing it on his own, but with the team, some self-maintenance about what he's going to be doing in the regular season here defensively. Because he had some moments with Golden State where defensively he was their most important defensive player. I mean, he was he was unbelievable. He was switching on guys. He's defending at the rim. I mean, he was really changing some things up. So, yeah, it's not a safe bet uh, considering the durability. But I'd like to see, you know, I think once the playoffs roll around, especially those closing moments of a tight game, I think we'll probably see him assigned to somebody defensively like we did during those Golden State days. Who would you go, this is an interesting topic, highest two-way ceiling 
in a playoff series right now? Because I, I honestly think KD might be first for me, but who is second? I guess it's Giannis. What are you, I mean, are we not going to talk about LeBron Embiid? yet? <laughs> what are you doing with that LeBron guy? Embiid? Embiid's think, close, two-way, but I think, you think LeBron, LeBron... LeBron's two-way ceiling, you think, is still the highest in the league? Well, the His problem ability is, to defend, switch, uh, shut down the best offensive player, another team, all that stuff? I, I think he's got to get some demerits on that side, at least, on the defensive side. The defensive argument for LeBron is a little complicated because the metrics for it this year, he's healthy. He was actually off the charts defensively. But if you're really watching, I mean, he's assigned the worst defensive player or worst offensive player to defend for a couple of years, which I always thought was smart because, hey, why are we going to have him chasing around the number one guy at this stage in his career? But I still think he's capable of doing that in some spots. So where he still is, where I expect LeBron to be offensively, because I, I don't care what he looked like in the first game against the Kings. Yeah. Um, I just, I don't think it's, I think it's really disrespectful to not mention him with this first group to be, I don't think we should be naming three or four NBA players before we mention LeBron. Is that fair? Well, we did KD, Giannis. Embiid. Embiid, LeBron. And you said Tatum for a second? No? <laughs> I didn't say Tatum. Did you see LeBron's quote? It kind of bummed me out where LeBron was basically like, I'm never going to be 100% again. Did you see that? I did, but I also, like, what I do you know what mean? it meant. Yeah, yeah, what does that mean? Exactly. Like, compared to what, 10 years ago? None of us are, man. <laughs> yeah, I was telling, I was telling, my stepmother was here this weekend and we were driving, go pick up my son. And I was talking about how I can work in 2021 compared to like 2012, 13. And I was just like, I'm just not the same. I can't, I just can't go at that level anymore. I can get there for little peaks. But the consistency, the day after day of just putting together 16-hour days back to back to that, I can't do it anymore. I'm too Look at old. You. You, you and LeBron are more alike than you guys Le ever LeBron. realized. <laughs> but when he said, I've never heard him admit defeat with his own body like that before, though, where he's like, I'll never be 100% again. I was like, wow. Because this okay, is a guy I'll who was like, he was like Tom Brady, kind of like Tom Brady for basketball, right? Like you would never hear Tom Brady say, I will never be 100% again. Tom Brady is like, I've reached a higher state of being. <laughs> I've ascended past humanity. And LeBron was just like, yeah, you know, you get old. It happens. It was basically how I read those quotes. I'm going to admit an observation that I've had now for a few years with LeBron on the quotes. I believe mm. the Jordan thing has fucked with him and his team so much that they are playing this long game of positioning LeBron in every conversation for like, well, here's, you know, planting little seeds along the way. And it was something I've noticed for a few years where Almost any question you ask him, he finds a way to compliment himself, but it's about like his his place, his legacy, and you'll just go like, you know, all right, cool, man. I get it. Like, you're, you're awesome. Nobody's debating that you're awesome anymore. And then it started when he had said, you know, we've talked about this, I think, a couple times where he was like the two toughest NBA championships in NBA history, the ones that I won, Golden State, and then in the bubble. And you were like, yeah. all right, maybe one of those. But then when he said, hey, I'm never going to be 100% again, I thought, wait, is he doing this? Because he was also talking about injury. He goes, you know, I've always wanted to come back from injury as soon as I possibly could. You know, that's just the way I'm built. And I'm like, yeah, I think a lot of guys are that way. I mean, there's probably a few dudes in the NBA that are like, I'm good being hurt, not playing the rest of the year. Like, let me know. April hoops, I'm done. But most of the great ones always want to come back. So he, the way he said that, then to almost admit something that was, was a, a weakness was very surprising, but then I immediately, my mind works where I'm going, is he planning this seed to right. like say, hey, don't, it? it was just, you're right. It was a weird 
thing. And with him, I always feel like every statement, every answer is crafted in a way to kind of present his story um, in a way that benefits him historically, which again, his play does as well. So do you think he was trying to set up like a 1998 Michael Jordan um, crawling to the finish line, pure guts, adrenaline? Because I'm with you. I think everything LeBron says is purposeful. He's not just like, oh man, I can't believe I said that yesterday about not being 100%. I, I, here's the actual quote if people didn't hear it. I knew I wasn't going to get back to 100%. He said, talking about his ankle. It's impossible. I don't think I will ever get back to 100% in my career. It's a pretty strong statement. But if he Tom means Brady, that... Tom Brady's okay. like, do TB12, dude. You'll be 100% in two weeks. <laughs> come, come talk to my guy, Alex. But if he means that I'm not going to be what I was at my peak, then, I mean, there's no real discussion here. Then it's a pretty obvious statement. I'll tell you who else isn't going to be 100% for the rest of his career right after this. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right? First half of the first game. I don't know. West Coast time, that's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. We were talking about the Lakers right before we went to that break. So they're kind of on the fringe of being in a playing game, which, you know, there's 10 games left. I don't want to panic. I don't want to uh, do the, oh my God, the Lakers, they might, but, you know, as we're, ta we're taping this on a Sunday night, it is uh, almost eight o'clock. They're playing Toronto right now. I'll just assume they're going to be Toronto, but there's like this little five, six, seven log jam with the Lakers in Portland and Dallas. And the where the Lakers land is a riveting playoff subplot. Because if they go seven, we have the possibility of, of LA Golden State at some point in a playing game, which would be fun, maybe. If they go to six or five, depending where the Clippers land, we could get LA, LA, LA round one, which is just a disaster for both sides, right? It's like, really? It's like that year in 2015 when the Clippers ended up just playing the Spurs in round one. And we were like, wow, okay, we're, I guess I guess we're going to do this now. We're getting this over with, two of the best three teams. So they, uh, they're they 36 and 27 right now, depending on the results of the Toronto game. 
But if you look at their schedule, have you looked at their schedule the rest of the way? It's it's like kind of, they got Denver coming uh, tomorrow, coming off this Toronto game. Thursday, they're at the Clippers. Then the next day, they're at Portland. They're playing Phoenix at home on Sunday. Then they play the Knicks, who are going to need that game. Um, the only easy one they have is Houston, May 12th. And then they finish at Indiana, Indiana trying to play for playing stuff. And then at New Orleans, last game of the season, um, which shouldn't mean anything for New Orleans, but it's certainly not an easy slide rest away. It's a possibility they're in the playing game or, or a six seed. What would be the most fun place for them to land in your opinion? And who do you want them to play in round one? Is it more fun for you if they're in a playing game or is it like Lakers Clippers or would you rather see them against Jokic? No, I'd rather see the Clippers-Lakers thing in the first round. Because okay. look, in the Clippers, and by the way, just to add to what you were saying about their schedule, they have the ninth toughest schedule going, going into today's action. And the teams ahead of them, there's only one team that's kind of in the playoff mix ahead of them, and that's Portland. Everybody else is either behind them in the West or in the East. So you could argue the Lakers have the second toughest schedule out of Western Conference playoff contenders here, um, looking at like how it plays out. And some of the projections I was looking at this morning has the best option or, you know, again, it depends on which one you look at, but there was a strong case to be made that the best likelihood by projecting it out was a three, six matchup with Clippers and the Lakers. You and I argued about this a few weeks ago, but it was friendly argument. I didn't, I wasn't motherfucking you to my friends after, um, it was, (laughs) (laughs) it was, it was, you want the, you were arguing, Hey, I want them now. I want to get it over with. If I'm going to have to play them and get them through. And I'm thinking, no way. Because I'm thinking like Phoenix, 10 years without a playoff run. And then you win the West. And they're the one seed as of right now. And then the Lakers get stuck in some stupid playing game scenario. And And they lose lose the first one, win the second, they're the eighth seed. Right. Imagine being like, all right, it's been a decade. We have Chris Paul. We feel so good about our franchise for the first time forever. And our 1-8 is the Lakers. Like, no, can we at least win a series and then we'll lose to them? So my argument for like a Phoenix or even the Clippers would be, can we just wait? Can we just wait? But I do think I should give more. There actually is more basketball value to what you're saying. So I've come around on it as I thought about it a well, little bit more. Here's why I was right. Here's why I'm going to agree with myself from three weeks ago. <laughs> I watched uh, the second half of that Kings game. The Drummond thing's going to not happen overnight with them trying to figure out how to incorporate Drummond with LeBron and Davis and everybody together with Schroeder, with whoever the fifth guy is, all that stuff. The Lakers played without LeBron and Davis long enough that I think... I think guys just had the ball a lot. It was a different way of playing basketball. Somebody like Schroeder was being used like he was, you know, Trey Young or something. And now it's like, all right, thanks, Dennis. Stand over there now. Um, and Davis and LeBron are playing, coming back from injury. And then the Drummond thing, it's, he's not like the easiest guy to play with, you know? And, you know, I think they're going to try to figure out over these next 10 games, what's our rotation? Who Who's our best five? What? What do we do with Harold? What's going on with that? Gasol, are we saving him for the playoffs? Or is but they're just going to say no. I, I mean, you know what, though? I mean, we can pretend this is some sort of dilemma. They're just not going to play some of these guys in certain matchups, and that's just going to be what happens. And even though I'm not the biggest Drummond guy over the years, whatever they've looked like and trying to incorporate, none of it matters because LeBron wasn't playing in any of these games. I'm actually really impressed with the Lakers and how, how competitive they were and how many games they actually won with these guys missing this many games. I mean, Davis has been out forever. 
And he finally comes back. I mean, LeBron, that's a huge chunk of time missed for a guy like that. So to me, I was more impressed with what they actually did and not completely falling apart. I think it speaks to Vogel. I think it, it, it sometimes speaks to like a standard that you want to keep, knowing that you're supposed to be a little bit more competitive for when the big guns come back, where if they had different jerseys on with a different organization, I actually think they have a worse record. Maybe that sounds stupid, but I do think that that can be real at times, and it's real with the Lakers. So to judge Drummond without LeBron, I see you're, you're not wrong on what you saw because I'm with you, but it just doesn't, none of it matters because if we learned anything from last year, writing off Dwight, it was a mistake because Dwight with LeBron is is free money, even JaVale, and having big guys running free. And that's why, as much as I love this Phoenix story, you know, I like Phoenix against Utah. I hate Phoenix's front line against the Lakers in a playoff series. It's bad. I mean, I, I, you can't talk me into it. <laughs> I'm with you. Um, the German thing, who are the best players he's ever played with? Like one year at Blake Griffin, basically that last good Pistons Blake Griffin thing. He's had the ball a lot. He's playing for a new contract. They're trying to shoehorn him into that Dwight JaVale type of thing. But, you know, I just think they're going to need these next 10 games to kind of figure out what are their best lineups. Whereas some of these other teams like Phoenix, Phoenix knows who they are. That team started out eight and eight. I think they're 37 and 10 since that team. They know every single lineup they have. All the guys have been playing together all year, and they know who they are. And the Lakers, not positive they know who they are yet, but that's why I have the last 10 games. I want to do uh, scariest first-round exits, a.k.a. who is hitting the panic button the hardest if all of a sudden they're out in round one. And I have three teams marked down, and I'm going to do them in descending order based on how big the panic I think will be. And then you can, you can, uh, if, if your team's missing out of that top three, we could talk about that after, but my three in order, the gold medalist is Portland. The silver <laughs> medalist is the Clippers and the bronze medalist is Boston. And I'm talking about, we get bounced in round one. Holy shit. Now what do we do? We've already done this, 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 and this. And now we're going home. What's our move? We got to make a move. The owner going, the hell? What, what are we doing? I thought, blah, blah, blah. So here's the case for Portland. Uh, Portland did beat the Celtics today. 71 and 67 this season and last season combined. They've made seven straight playoffs, including the 2019 West Finals. They made two second rounds. Lillard is 30. CJ's 29. They traded Trevor Ariza the 16th pick in the 2020 draft when there were some good players left and then a top 14 protected 2021 pick for Covington. They traded uh, Gary Trent for Powell's basically expiring because he's hitting free agency. They gave Rodney Hood two for 20. They gave Derek Jones two for 20. They threw money away on Harry Giles. Um, they did an Enos Cantor thing, which has actually worked and they rolled the dice with Carmelo and so far that's been okay. But my point is they don't really have any moves left. And if this is a first round and out based on all the moves they've done, then you have the Chris Haynes piece on Friday. There's denials all over the place that that came from Dame, but Chris Haynes, I think has a pretty good feel for Portland. Dame has always done the, I'm a good soldier. I want to retire here thing. I guess my question is a, what's your move? If you could just get 
shellacked in round one and get sent back. And what do you do? Like, I, I don't know if you can run back the same team again, but you don't really know what the next move is. And then B, if you're just going down the line of what West nucleus is, I would rather have. Can we play that game right now before you give your Portland take? Yeah. Um, West nucleuses you would rather have than Portland. I'm just going to give you each team and you just tell me yes or no. I'd rather have Portland or I'd rather have this team. Would you rather have Phoenix next five years or Portland? Next five years? I next actually probably years. rather have Portland. Okay. Because, I mean, that's... So you'd rather the have the Booker, Aiton, and uh, you, you... I like Aiton's effort. Aiton's not going to be a star. Okay. He, I love, I love some of the stuff he does and how hard he tries. But I, to, it, to me, it's pretty clear. I think he's going to be a, a good, not great, center. Utah. Um, Lillard's probably thought of as better than Mitchell, but I like the way Utah's core is. Except who's the third guy? Because in five, the next five years, I say Conley. So I think that one's really close. I, I think there's an argument for Portland there still because Lillard is better than all the guys we're talking about in Utah. All right, I'm going Phoenix, Utah for both. Denver. You Wait a minute, go- why are you saying Phoenix? You're saying Bridges, Aiton, Booker, next five years over older D- Dame and, and CJ? I get two more years of Chris, and I have a team that's just better. At least short term, I have a team that has a chance to compete for the finals this year, next year, maybe the year after that. Portland, I'm not competing for the finals any year. What's my move? I feel like they kind of had their moment. When you said five years, you're really, you're saying two years then. I mean, two years is a different conversation. I guess. Well, let's say, all right, let's say four. All right, four. Now I change, (laughs) I change everything. Uh, I I never really quite understood. I thought Portland playing in the Western Conference Finals and they got swept by Golden State, even without Durant. I mean, one of those games looked like they were trying to lose it, but I... I feel like a, I've always said this, but it's it's a lot like the Jets making the AFC title game with Mark Sanchez a couple of years where you go, that's cool. You guys played in that game, but it's not really. Yeah, you weren't an actual yeah, team Portland, that we thought was going to win the title. Yeah. So, you know, Portland doesn't defend. They lose to the good teams. But I this mean, is why I would take Phoenix over them, because even if it's just this year, next year, and then I don't know what happens, I still actually have a chance to win the title with this Phoenix team. Whereas with Portland, I'm not sure there's any scenario where I can even make the finals with the team they have. All of these the teams, is. all the teams in the West coming into today, cause they'll get another one, but in Portland's eighth in the West against teams 500 or better, they're at 38% on those games, Oof. you know? So like, that's one of the, one of those deals. We start looking at these playoff matchups. I'm like, did you guys beat anybody good? And I know this year is weird, but Portland doesn't beat any good. How many times have you seen them against a good offensive team in the fourth quarter where you go, they can't do anything. Like, they can't stop anybody. They shot the hell out of the ball against Boston today, all right? And Boston has its own issues. And Boston every- shot the hell out of the ball, too. It's just Portland shot the they hell were out of combined, the ball there. They were combined 22 of 37 in the first half. If anybody watched that first half, I'm not telling you to go back. And watch. I mean, it was 71 apiece at the half. It was absurd. Nobody missed from, like, the first few minutes on until halftime. Nobody missed. And then, you know, Portland figured it out, which is probably more of a reflection of Boston. I guess I just didn't. There's you're right about what do we do now, but I also think you have to judge the panic based on what your expectations were. And there's far bigger expectations for Milwaukee, the Clippers, and I would say even Boston coming in than the Trailblazers, unless more people like Portland than I did. Portland and Boston are mirror images of each other. Very, very good offensive on paper teams. Super disappointing. I don't trust either of them. Quickly, would you rather be Denver or Portland? Denver. 
Clippers? As weird as it is with the Kawhi stuff, um, I'll take them and I'll trade Paul George. I agree on both. Lakers, I'd rather be Lakers. because I have Anthony Davis. Yeah. I'd rather have him than, than either guard. Dallas, I'd rather have Luka than any Portland situation. Agreed. Memphis. I can't figure them out. I can't because some nights I really love them. You know what I love about them is they fight. They're a fighting team. You know what I mean? They really do reflect. You know, as much as we laugh about the heat culture thing, I think there's a Memphis thing. I, I think that grind shit is, is real with them. And Ja kind of sets the tone. But I also think there are times with Ja where I'm like, God, he's amazing. And then other times I'm like, is he not amazing? But Jaron's back. And, you know, Brooks can drive you crazy at times. Jonas has been terrific. So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that I'm going to pick that To me, that that's core. a wash. Yeah, yeah I, I think I'd rather one. have Dame than anybody yeah. I'm Dame, Dame's breaking a lot of ties if it's a tie. Yeah. Uh, Golden State, I'd rather have Curry and Clay and the Wiseman trade and that Minnesota pick. Spurs, rather have Portland. New Orleans, I'd rather have Zion, obviously. And then the last four. My point is, like, they might have... Cat Russell at, and Aunt Edwards. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather have I'd rather have Dave Miller. Um, I don't know what Portland's move is. I guess is my point. So from a panic button standpoint, that's the one where it just gets dark. Like Boston can at least be like when they get bounced in the first round, which they will. They can at least go. Well, we have Tatum and Brown. Neesmith looks good. Pritchard. We have a nucleus. If we can get Kemba right, we'll trade smart. Like we there there are moves. What's Portland's move? Like, how many times can Covington get traded for first-round picks before people start going, wait a second, why is this guy being passed around like a Yankee Christmas swap? Are they going to pay Powell $20 million a year? <laughs> is um, he the oven mitt in the NBA? Is that what you're saying? Right. It's, he's the snow globe. Is Nurkic ever going to be healthy? Anyway, uh, I have Portland one. Clippers are an obvious two to me, except... I don't know what the panic button move for them ex is except for the Paul George trade that we all know will happen if they lose in round one. I mean, he'll get traded. So it's, it's, it's like a panic move, but at the same time, there's no other move. They have, did you see their, if you look at their salad, guess what they have on their books next year, assuming Kawhi opts in or gets uh, a giant extension. What Although the George, is it like one, one thirty-eight or something? It's one fifty. On the books next year. And that's without filling out the rest of their entire roster yet. They have $150 million committed already, including the Kawhi thing. 2023, it's 82 without Kawhi. 2024, 77.5. They, they're paying Beverly 14.3 next year, which is a disaster. They're paying Kennard 40.2 through 2024. They're paying Morris 49.1 through 2024. And Rondo and Zubac get 15.8 combined next year. Um, plus Ibaka is at like 10 next year. I, I, I guess Paul George okay. would be the panic move. But I can't believe you were talking about the Lakers earlier when I go without those guys. I'm impressed that they hovered around the record they had. Whenever I do any Clippers game or I'll go, okay, get caught up in what they've been doing. They shoot the hell out of the basketball. They're like a 42% going into the games the Amazing other night. three-point team. Yeah. And they've, they've somehow created some depth on the fly. You know, Terrence Mann has been a guy for him. Yeah. They've had, I mean, I, I have it here because I, I went through and counted how many, like we were, I know we're going to do all NBA teams a little bit later because it's brutal trying to figure it out. And I have how many games everybody's missed. But yeah. Kawhi's missed 18, George's missed 16, and they 
they have an unbelievable record. They still have yeah. amazing statistics. They beat really good teams. And then the Clippers will have like, it's kind of like my Monday night football quarterback theory, where if you have an awful game on Monday night football, it's like having a terrible season. Because if it's your only Monday night game and then you suck, then all the shows on Tuesday have no other games to talk about. And then you're just going like, I don't think this guy can get it done. And conversely, if you have a great game where Geno Smith had like one really nice Monday night game, they're like, hey, they found a guy. I think they right. found their guy. And then the perception of you changes. So the Clippers will have some of these absolute duds nationally. And then you'll think, man, I can't buy into that team. And then you look at their numbers and their record and what they're doing, even without their studs. And you go, they just keep beating everybody for the most part, other than what I think, and just to throw it out there, to me, Jokic locked up MVP against the Clippers last night. I'm the, I, he locked it up for me two weeks ago. The whole thing was stupid. There's no... There's no they, they're still winning without after. Murray. They had a catastrophic injury and they fucking kept going. And you know what the most important thing is here? And, and we'll do he's played all 64. Yeah. I don't want to hold games against somebody else who maybe was having a better run than him, but it's hard to argue somebody's been better than him. And then to do this without Murray and to watch him and to watch him dictate every successful possession the way he is in control of things and beat a good Clippers team. Uh, he was he was a stud in that game for them last night. And I don't, I don't really think the debate is even open anymore. I felt like it was closed already, but he well, makes you win. He you makes everybody there. better. I just felt like he's having a transcendent offensive season. He's played every game. He's incredibly valuable, and they're going to be a top three seed. Like, what the fuck else do you want? I don't. The Murray the fact part that people of it are is arguing this is in, insane. Right, it's insane now because the Murray part to go what nine and one or is it ten and one now? I forget. Yeah. Um. With the clips, the Paul George panic move would be the obvious move. But man, that that not getting SG putting SGA in that Paul George trade just I know they had to do it, but it just hurts. And then you look at their first where they don't have first in 22, 24, 26. They got pick swaps in 23 and 25. So I don't even know what their moves are. You'd think they would be number one for panic, but I don't even know how they panic other than being like, who wants Paul George? Uh and then my third team was the Celtics just because you know, they made three conference finals in four years, but the uh, the Kemba contract and the fact that he just doesn't seem like he's going to be durable for the rest of his career combined with, uh, you know, the nucleus doesn't totally work. Um, the Tatum-Brown thing is such a nice thing to have. It's like the Zion Ingram thing. You look at it on paper, you're like, wow, look at those two guys together. Oh my God, 52 points a game combined. That's amazing. And then you watch it and you're like, eh, what are the right three players to go with these guys? Um, I think from a panic button standpoint, there's going to be a great reckoning in this organization if they get bounced in round one. When you think of all the great picks they've had, the fact that they have two potential NBA guys under the age of 24 in their team. Um, they've had a lot of swings at the pinata here. And I really want to know going forward, who's going to be calling the shots if this team gets bounced in round one, because I think there will be a change. And I, I say that you're talking, in a way, I, you're talking Ainge, Brad. No, it won't be Brad. I think there's going to be a change organizationally if they get bounced in round one and don't aggregate this. I have no inside info. Do not, do not do a whole thing. Simmons, like, I'm not doing that. I just, they've had the same regime since 2005. And at some point you got to look at it. And unless it's Belichick and you can point to six Super Bowl rings, at some point you just got to look at it and go, all right, do we need a new voice? Do we need a new direction? What are we doing wrong? And I just think 
the Celtics are heading toward that point. Some of their strategies just haven't worked. They've accumulated all of these young guys and it just hasn't totally worked. And now they've kind of missed their window, which was my fear last year in the bubble. I think they've missed their window. I don't like when the Eastern Conference Finals losses are held against them, though, because really, other than last year, I think it was kind of fluky they were even in them. Um, True. The other two. So, but then Fair. again, you should be like, well, wait a minute. Should we give them credit for exceeding? Because I felt like they've exceeded expectations um, more years than they haven't because I've always been kind of surprised. Like, oh my God, they're in game seven against Cleveland LeBron. Like, how the hell did that happen? I mean, how the hell did they end up when they got smoked with that Isaiah Thomas group? Like, that's what should have happened. That's one of the worst one seeds we've Agreed. ever had in the NBA. So, if you're telling me, though, because of all of that and that there's time to make a change, I'm not going to sit here and argue because I'm just. You know, you look at, they had a Denver win, which was weird because it was Denver playing the worst basketball they played all season for like a long stretch and it just got ugly. It was the 31 to three run by Boston. And even yeah. the announcers who I like for Denver were going, I mean, Scott Hastings, I know you remember him. He's like, man, that's, that's going to be the worst 10 minutes of Nuggets ball we've seen all year, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it, when you're watching it, you're like, this is atrocious. They're just giving the ball back to them. So then if you're on the Boston side of it, you're like, hey, win at Denver, really good team. Things are going to change. You're the only team that lost to the Thunder in like forever, all right? <laughs> the Thunder don't want to win anything. They lost by 60 the other night to the Pacers and the Celtics lost to them. So then you're down 30 to the Spurs and you just go, okay, I guess this is over. Like now it's over, over. And they show fight. Tatum gets 60. There's a look that Tatum had that I don't even know, and I'm a huge Tatum guy, that I'm used to even seeing from him. Agree. And then you watch the game today, and you go, are they going to build off of this? You're like, nope. Because you're right. I think all of us that watch him all the time, because I do, because I like talking about my, my pops, the Brown-Tatum thing, they don't play with each other. And Kemba being in and out of the lineup's a mess. You know what was the craziest thing about the comeback against San Antonio? That's one of the best stretches of basketball I've seen in a tight game from Marcus Smart in his entire career. You want to know why? Because he just played. He wasn't doing his bullshit. He wasn't doing his thing where he's like, hey, I've been left out a few possessions, so now I'm going to force a shot. He was actually playing and getting other guys involved and staying locked in. And then, what and then what happened today? And then he decides, because he's pissed off about something, to flop in a charge against uh, Nurkic where he punches Nurkic in the balls and then gets ejected in an absolutely huge moment in the game where they needed him out there because there's no Kemba. And look, if Marcus isn't back next year, I wouldn't be shocked at all. Uh, I know he's been offered, but it'd be offered for stuff to improve Boston. So, And I haven't heard that from Boston. I've heard it from other teams. He's expiring contract next year. Right. And, you know, Marcus can add something to some, but he... He's so hot and cold. I don't want to hear about his stats. I don't want to hear about Tommy points. I don't want to hear any of that stuff. If you actually watch all these games, he has these moments where he's deciding that it's his deal is more important than everybody else's deal, and it takes away from him. And by he is not even close to being the only guy to blame throughout all the struggles of this season. I guess I'm still a little surprised. I guess I'd be a little surprised if if it were an Ainge thing or a Stevens thing because I, I still think everybody as frustrated as they are. I don't won't know. be a Steven saying they just re-signed him. It, it could be an Ainge ascending to a higher level and becoming like, uh, you know, not not the guy who calls the shots, but above, maybe he gets promoted. Oh. I don't know. But Yeah, that's one of those weird deals. You get promoted to not but you have the job yeah, you have less power. Hey, the Brown-Tatum point you made was a really important one because I think they're really, 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 really good assets 
and valuable players. And they've the playoff reps they've gotten. I love Tatum. The stuff he did in that Spurs game ranked among some of the best offensive play I've seen from a Celtic. I mean, it's 60 points, only made five threes. Zero um, turnovers, 98 touches, zero turnovers. He was fucking turnovers. amazing in that game. So the, I, I'm not dissing those guys at all. I just am not sure they make anyone else better, which is fine because we have a lot of uh, really, really good NBA players who don't make any other guys better on their team. Um, but I think Neesmith is an important kind of thing to mention when you talk about those two guys. Neesmith, out of nowhere, out of nowhere, did a 180 and has become an asset and has become like the kind of guy I love, like my guy, like where um, he's just hustling his ass off. He's jumping passing lanes, offensive rebounds. They just tell him, go to the left corner, Tatum or Brown are shooting. You're going to be over there. And he still is figuring out ways to be involved. And I guess what's frustrating about this team to me is it's like, I want to see more from Neesmith. I was texting you in house, like, can we run a play for him? Can I see what it's like when he has the ball and somebody they sends did. him a pick? They did. They ran an out of time out for yeah, him today. It's like, cool. More. Like, we actually need this guy. But the Tatum and Brown, they just monopolize the offense in a way that I really don't think is healthy. And then Kemba can break into it when he's healthy because they'll at least run some action for him. Smart will grab plays, but nobody else in the team is involved. And I think that's fundamentally the issue with the team other than that defensively, they can just be complete dog shit. Watching Neesmith have a light go on that was not there for months. Unbelievable. Um, in he's his aggressiveness, his confidence. I mean, this is somebody I think he went 12 games of a free throw attempt because he just was like, oh, the ball? Like, what the hell? Am I supposed to do this? And I was kind of like, look, he may not be good, but at least at Vanderbilt, like they had to ask him so many times to bail him out of offensive possession. So it's like, look, it's not like we're throwing the ball to a center here asking right. you to figure something out five seconds less than the shot clock. You actually had to dribble drive and create and save possessions in college, and it looks like you don't even feel comfortable touching the basketball. And it started with hustle plays and aggressiveness, and then everything followed after. I got to imagine this is like you watching your your child throw away a piece of litter at the park by themselves. Like you're in the I, car. Honestly, yeah. it, it's like watching your kid gain confidence like in anything where you're just like, oh my God. The light bulb's going off. This is so adorable. He's like, um, Ben's like a real person. <laughs> oh my God. Look at you just shook somebody's hand. Uh, <laughs> Neesmith, I'm all in on. I He was running around like a chicken with his head cut off for four months. And then something happened. He just, the pace of the game, he adjusted to it. And he's a real asset. So anyway, from a panic button standpoint, um, I just think, if they get bounced in round one with the t with the salary bill that they're going to have next year, something will happen. But the Kemba deal, I mean, it would, organizationally, Kemba's smart trade, something will happen. I don't know that Kemba. I mean, if he's thirty six million next year, thirty seven point six player option two years from now, I, there's no worse playoff loss in the first round than the Clippers losing in a three six matchup to the Lakers, even though it's a better team. And you're, you're like, right. this sucks. That's that's the one. But they just remember, like, we did a pretty good job on the the Clippers obituary of the previous season. I mean, <laughs> that place was that place was pretty intense. You know, they just Doc lost his job because of that series. Right. So, you know, well, Ballmer, you Ballmer's Bucks, not gonna sit around. You meant last panic button team, you mentioned the Bucks. Um yeah, they'd panic, but I don't know what the move would be because Holiday and Middleton and Giannis are there. I mean, they're really firing Budenholzer would be the only panic 
move you could make. They're not trading one of those three guys. So that'll be it. Um, let's take a break. We have a lot more to cover. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid. Featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. So we're at the point of the season where you can go on ESPN or basketball reference and just look at stats and be like, wait, what? There's a lot of wait, what going on? I'm just going to give you a couple of things that made me go, wait, what? First of all, Russell Westbrook is now at 22, 11 and 11. He's first in assists. He's going to win the assist title and he's seventh in rebounding. Now we know that he's been playing well for, you know, two plus months here, but it's just, if you had just shown me these numbers four months ago, I, I would have, House and I were doing, did a podcast about like, this guy's damaged goods. The Wizards got screwed. <laughs> He's so not damaged goods. <laughs> Athletically, he looks the way he did in like 2014-15 range. Does that get a wait what from you that he's first in, in assist and seventh in rebounds? I seem to catch them enough that I knew, I knew what he was doing. Um, okay. But. You know, this isn't that's not the Westbrook story. The, the story is the little things like at the end of the Dallas game. I don't know what the hell they were doing when they were trying to send Doncic right, but they sent him right to an elbow with no one there. I mean, they yeah. had two people staggered to shade him or excuse me. They were sending him left, left elbow. They didn't want him to go right. And they turned and there was no one else there. And then on the Hardaway three, they got away from them. And then Westbrook was losing his mind. So that, that's the only way I really judge Westbrook anymore. It's like all those little moments that get missed in the triple double stuff. Like, what are you doing to some of those? Now the Hardaway three wasn't on him, but he was mad about something else. He was so mad about the Doncic elbow that as he was bringing the ball up, he was yelling at the sideline because obviously they were getting mad at him for however he routed it. But I don't know. Again, I don't know what the rules were and how they were trying to do that. Yeah. I also thought it was funny too, that he was like, no, everybody said triple doubles were great. And still I started doing them. And then I'm like, all right, well, no, it's because you lose in the first round, man. I mean, that's why people were off of you after a while, because then they started paying a little bit more attention to how the triple doubles work. He goes, none of you guys are saying that about Oscar Robertson, when in fact, anyone that's looked up any of the Oscar Robertson triple double stuff historically, you're like, actually, it's not as impressive as you would think because they took a million shots back then. So um, he has a big persecution complex. Most of the stars do, but he has gone from, I thought it was borderline disastrous as you and House did at the beginning of the year to he's out there competing the teams better. And even though I, there's going to be decisions there that drive me nuts from him, it's a, I've, you know, you take this seven days a week compared to what you were getting at the beginning of the year with the Wizards. Fair? Yeah, his first 46 minutes are really high level. And the last two, I just assume he's going to do something dumb that will potentially cost us in the game. That's where I am with him as a player. I did not think he would be able to put the kind of production, physicality, athleticism at this Point. I mean, he's been in the league since 2008. Think about the other guys from that class. Like Kevin Love is basically on his way out of the league. You know, he was in there. Um, Derek Rose, it's been on how many teams? Seven. You go on down the line, it's like, and Westbrook athletically seems like he's still flying around and stuff. To me, it's like the the perfect storm would be Stan Van Gundy coaching Russell Westbrook <laughs> in the last two minutes of a game. <laughs> I don't know what would happen, but I know they would lose. 
Uh, Zion is now at 27, seven and four, and he's still shooting 62%. And he's hit the point where, uh, if he doesn't have 30 in a game, you assume he got in foul trouble. He's completely unstoppable. And I, I like he's, they're playing golden state, um, tomorrow and Tuesday and golden state's pretty small. And if you want, if you, if you're a rookie card person, I would buy Zion rookie cards. I mean, they're pretty high already, but I would buy them before he has like 55 against Golden State on Monday or Tuesday because I, I think there's an unbelievable Zion offensive game that has not happened this year that I feel like could be brewing in one of those Warriors games. But I know he's your favorite, and I, I don't need to get you to talk about Zion. No, I mean, 37 overtime win against Minnesota. Like, I just, whenever there's a spare TV, it's, what are the Pelicans doing? And I don't even care what the score is because I just, no one has figured it out yet. No one has figured out. Teams have tried all sorts of stuff with it and none of it really works. Head of steam, <laughs> Zion. Nobody knows what to do. You're not going to take a he's charge. Still, he's still quick enough side to side and he gets compact. You know, we used to think, which was fair because it's a hype business, but you'd go, you know, is he actually like 6'5"? Now it's like, hey, this is amazing. He he gets low to the ground before he explodes. So there's not he's not like longer like some of these other ball handlers. Like the fact that Durant can do what he can do with the ball at his height in traffic, you know, with people around him. Because usually when you're that tall, even if you have a nice handle, you go, there's just too much, there's just too much space for the ball. Like you're gonna get people swatting at it and stuff. Zion's so compact. And what I love now is putting it on the visitor announcers. Who you know when you're when you're calling games all season you don't get a chance to really watch as many other teams so the yeah. first time the announcers get to see the Zion deal in person and they're just going like oh you know you can you can prep with the media notes but it's a whole nother deal experiencing it knowing that all right you know let's do this let's double let's let's pick them up three quarters court let's do that and so you know point Zion for two three months now is look there's nothing else I can add to this because I've been saying it with you for months now. I'm dying to see him in person. I cannot believe I, I have not seen him in person yet. It's my number one draft pick of anyone I want to see in person in any sport. Zion. You, me, private jet, your I, tab to <laughs> New Orleans. I'll get us the tickets. You get us the jet. I'll get us the tickets. I want to see him, you know, because you never know with this stuff. Like somebody, you can get, get hurt. All of a sudden, you get a meniscus. I don't want to jinx it. I'm going to knock on wood. Um, but... I just want to see it while he's like this, you know, I've, I feel like I've seen every great offensive player at this early stage of their life when they're just like on raw athletic ability, they're completely unstoppable. There's so much that he doesn't know about basketball yet. And he's still unstoppable. I don't know if he's with any teammate that he should be with three years from now. Like not one, you go on down the line. I'm like, I, like, does it make sense for him and Brandon Ingram to be on the same team? I'm leaning toward no. I would actually rather they weren't on the same team. Uh, any guard that they have? Eh. Steven Adams? No. Lonzo's fine with him. I guess, but it just seems like Lonzo's going to be off that team. Right? It just seems like he's leaving. And Jackson Hayes, who I thought was just, it wasn't going to happen for him. Has had far more moments in the second half of the season. Yeah, maybe it'll be Jackson Hayes. You would need somebody big, and I'm not saying Jackson's like, hey, this guy's a stud and going to get an awesome second contract, but you would need to protect Zion long-term. You would need some kind of rim-protecting spacing offensive five. 
You know what well, I mean? Well, yeah, it's you, almost you like somebody, a mis- You need healthy Przingis. Oh, God. Um, what do you think Colin Sexton is averaging points per game this year? Uh, is it like 24? 24.4 points a game. Colin Sexton. <laughs> Did you read that article? Which one? There was an article today that said teammates were getting pissed about Sexton's approach to the game and guys defending them would be like, you know he's not going to fucking pass it to you. Why Why are you... Oh, <laughs> like, no. like, so the opponents are making fun of the teammates by going, why are you getting ready for a pass? He's not going to. I don't know why they let Kevin Porter leave. I do. I, what do you well, mean you don't know? No, no, no. But I just like... They suck anyway. Why are you just letting getting rid of a guy? It's not what is he hurt your playoff run? Just keep him. I'll tell you, I gotta admit, when he was trending, I was like, oh no. And then, <laughs> then I was like, oh, 50. <laughs> yeah, this, it's like you, we should do it all NBA team for he's trending. Oh no. <laughs> oh, I hope everything's okay. Oh, he's going for 40. Um That's much better. Uh yeah, I I saw him in person as a rookie when I went back to see a Boston Cleveland game. And it was like one of those, you're like, wow, that guy's kind of going wherever he wants to go with the ball. Hey, there's, there's no deny. I mean, look, when He's you watch talented. him at USC, you go, that's an NBA score right there. Yeah. I mean, there's no question. The problem is everything else. Yes. Everything else. CP three's P 36 this year, 18 and 10. His career per 36 is 19 and 10. His percentages this year, 49, 38, 92. His career is 47, 37, 87. You could make the case he's having a slightly better year than the average Chris Paul year. Is this going to allow me to have the floor for about a minute here then? Is this is this you teeing this up? You want to do Chris Paul now or you want to save it for the... You want me? Can I give you a couple more appetizer stats and then we'll do Chris? Yeah, please, All please, right. no problem. Jason Tatum post All-Star is basically 29-8-4. So he's doing it again what he started to do last year before he got hurt. There's a realistic chance he might be a 30-point-a-game scorer one of these seasons. If he puts the free throws together, he's going to yeah. get 30 a game. Now, it depends on who his teammates are. Be honest. Were you happy that the and one was called on the floor so he got two free throws instead of the and one and then was going to have 61 points? Did you want Tatum to have 61 and, and beat Bird, or do you like it better that he's tied with Bird? So my dad was here this weekend and we were watching. And your Both dad's the, rooting we, for Tatum to miss? We weren't rooting against Tatum. We were rooting for them to share the record, which was how it played out. Did not want him to get 61. The 60 in New Orleans is iconic. Like it, they, they, I won't be telling my grandkids about Tatum's 60, but Bird's, Bird's 60 is in the running for me telling my grandkids about where I was when I watched that game, what, what the Hawks cheering him on the bench, all that stuff. This Tatum thing was, you know, it was incredible offensively. But yeah, I wanted him to share it. And by the way, 60 60 this year is a little easier than 60. 60 in OT is a little easier. Well, and OT, but if we're going to learn anything from this, this season, this version of an NBA season, is that offense is not exactly hard to come by. Butler's last 41 games, 22-7-7, and 7, 50% field goal, 8.4 free throw attempts. He's sixth in PER in the NBA, and that's from a guy who can't shoot it. Like, he used to maybe make you honest. He was a 24% from three last year. He's at 20% from three. Not like he takes a ton, but the assists are up. He makes his free throws. The boards are there. 
and the efficiency stuff is incredible. So when you were asking me to put together the all NBA stuff, I went into it being like, well, would I vote for Butler? And now I'm like, yeah, I think I. He's I, 48. Now, he's 48 to 65 for games played. So if he can play the rest of the season, he'll be at, you know, he'll be in the mid fifties, which makes it reasonable to have an all NBA discussion with him. And as the teaser of the all NBA thing, if we do much of it, and we can do it again later. If you're going to go, oh, this guy missed 15 games. Okay, well then, good luck filling out three right. full teams without right. te- without guys that have missed more than double digit games. Um. All right, let's do Chris Paul. So, this Great. is year year 16. We did a book of basketball podcast about Chris Paul that I would urge people to listen to if they haven't heard it yet. Heading into this season, um, ten All Stars, he made it his 11th. 15 is 16 quality. He really only had one bum year. First All-NBA three times, second four times, third one time. He will be either first or second All-NBA this year, right? I don't know where I he think ends so. up, but it'll be one or two. I, I can't imagine he falls to third team. No, whether, I don't I don't think so. I don't whether Luca is a guard or not, I still feel like Paul's one of the four guards. It's probably four for two on the guards for first team. It's Luca, yep. it's Steph, it's Paul, and it's Dane. Yes. Probably so, in that order too. So he's going to be, so after the season, he'll be first three times, second five times, which is really crazy. That means I was a top 10 NBA player for eight seasons. That's way up there with, you know, you're, you're talking some major dudes. Um, we did this on the book of basketball pod. I'm going to do it again. The year 14 or later, just guards who averaged 15 points and six assists a game. And the list was 2010 Nash. 1974, Lenny Wilkins, 1974, Jerry West, and then Kyle Lowry did it last year. He's about to do it again. Paul's done it for three straight years, 16 and 8, 18 and 9, 16 and 9. Um, and yet here we are again with people like, oh my God, Chris Paul's actually good. Holy yeah, that's shit. where, that's where, like, look, I need a restraining order on me when it's, when it's Chris Paul time, Steph Curry time. Hey, first round quarterbacks are bust. Okay, Rosilla, we get it. Hey, you know, I'm moving new and I'm out of college. How do long distance relationships work out, Ryan? Can you help me? Like, I get it. I get the easy things to make fun of me when I when it comes to like, I'm annoying about the Chris Paul thing. But when I'm at home watching a Chris Paul game and everybody's like 16 years in, be like, you know who's good? You know who's been really good? It's Chris <laughs> Paul. Like, it's this new discovery. I don't yeah. get it. I don't. So it's like, wait, now, now you're figuring it out. That's what I don't understand. I actually, I tried to figure out all the times we've celebrated Chris Paul with this belated epiphany that Chris Paul is awesome. It was nine different times. 2006, Marvin Williams gets drafted over him. People like us were like, wait a second, Chris Paul is going to be an unbelievable pro. You're, 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 Darren Williams is going to go over him and like, what's happening? Chris is awesome. People, that's the first time we celebrate Chris Rowe. Second time was the OA Pelicans when he was in the MVP discussion. And that from a league pass kind of people watching just how fun that team was with Chandler. And then they go to the playoffs. He has an awesome series against the Spurs where it's basically like he's going against the defending champ. The Spurs, 08 Spurs. And he's three years into the league. And that's, but that's that. That team Defending was not. Defending champ Spurs, and right. he's toe-to-toe with them. All right, so that's the second time. Third time was when he's going to get traded in 2011 after the lockout. 
when he's about to go to the Lakers, gets canceled, ends up in the Clippers. Everyone goes nuts. But then we actually got to watch Chris Paul with Blake and DeAndre. And he's that first season with him where everybody's like, oh my God, I include myself because I was going to some of those games and I wrote a glowing piece about him at some point where I'm like, this guy's fucking amazing. Like, I, I just can't believe all of these little things he does. It was such a delight to go and see him. Fourth time was the 2014 clips when they really seemed like they were going to just, I'm, I'm going before the playoffs, but heading and heading toward it, it really seemed like, all right, this, you can actually have a championship team if, if Chris Paul is your best guy. Um, fifth time was the 2015 Spurs series when he hits the game winner and he took the big monkey off his back. Chris Paul can't do it. Little did we know they were going to fold against Houston. I was Pacquiao Mayweather too, because I was yeah. in the bowels of yes. ESPN working that night and all the guys had it on the big screen. And I was like, all right, this is cool and all. And I was so happy. Like I was, I was doing it and people were like, why do you care about Chris Paul so much? And I was like, cause of you, you fucking guys. Kimmel still, Kimmel, everyone went to Pacquiao Mayweather and I didn't go because it was going to be game seven. And he couldn't believe it. He's like, really? You're going to miss this fight? And I'm like, I, I love nothing more than NBA game sevens. That's the top for me. If it's two really good teams and there's real stakes, that's where I want to be over any, give me any other sporting event. I want to be in the house. Especially with those teams because the Spurs blew like a late game to the Nuggets. And then you go, you guys, you guys didn't take care of your shit. Now you have to play as a six seed against the Clippers. It was a weird, it was almost like when Belichick, like, why are you blowing the last regular season game where now you're going to end up in Denver? Why would you do that? And yeah, Popovich, Belichick, there you go. Three more Chris Paul celebrations. 2018 Houston, they win 67 games. Everybody's like, oh my God, Chris Paul. I can't believe he figured out how to be a company and guy to Harden. Uh, 2020 last year with OKC and now this year with Phoenix. So that's nine. That's nine times we've done this with Chris Paul that I can remember. There might've been other times. Okay, but the 3-1 lead thing, when they blew that, um, that was disastrous uh, because it changed it changed like then paul was a loser and i also think there was so much anti clipper stuff going on because they were a pretty unlikable group from just um a basketball standpoint because you know i love doc doc complains all the time so you had doc complaining all the time blake complains all the time chris complains all the time austin complains all the time so they had beef with portland they had beef with golden state they had beef with houston so this Clippers team that was talking a lot and we knew they were good. And then Doc didn't do him set up any favors when he was like, well, Golden State's basically just lucky because they're more healthier and the rest of us aren't. So that pissed people off. So I think that whole Clippers group went from like fun LA team to just NBA disliked. And because they blew that 3-1 lead to Houston, which they deserve to get all sorts of shit for still. all Coming of that off the heels of OKC the year before. Right. I think all of that stuff. You're right. You're right. Because he had those those bad possessions late where one he turned it off one over. One of the turnovers is terrible. The other turnover just kind of gets added to the other one. Or I didn't think it was nearly as bad, but I sound like I'm just defending him. Great addition to it. There was a very quick amount of time that all of a sudden people were like, ah, fuck this guy. And I'd still be like, wait, what are you guys talking about? Like He's awesome. And then, you know, the year they win 65, he doesn't play because the hamstring thing and then the team misses 27 threes and all that stuff so it was almost like that was so damaging to his his Q rating 
Yeah. That that's why now after Oklahoma City, where I know firsthand, like Billy Donovan was like, hey, Chris, we're going to do you a favor. We're going to keep you rested. We're going to trade you at some point. We're going to do this, do that. And Paul's like, nah, fuck that. Like, I'm here. I'm good to go. I'm playing. And they were like, well, and he's like, nah, like I'm playing. And Donovan's like, okay. And they go to game seven with Houston. That team wasn't very good. Yeah, it must be Houston. Yeah, so that book of basketball pod we did, we basically spelled out the conundrum of Chris Paul's career. It was just this unbelievable point guard. All the gifts you could ever want, um, the consistency, the efficiency, everything. And neither of us wanted to hang the playoff stuff on him, but it's impossible not to. Just is. He had, there was too many of them. The fact that he never made the finals and then this whole little thing about the little man in NBA playoffs, how rare it is for a team built around a guard to actually succeed for four straight rounds. Isaiah was able to pull it off. Curry, who's 6'3", but still was able to pull it off. And Chris was just never able to pull it off. And it's like, look, sometimes this sucks, but this is the way it works out. Like, you're going to retire and it'll be like, Chris Paul, unbelievable point guard, never made the finals. And that's just one of the things we're going to remember. He has a chance to potentially change this um, in the playoffs. He might get some help with LA versus LA, right? If those two, if that happens in round one, and it's just like, all right, cross off one of those two teams. If they get the one seed and they get to play whoever, and they basically get a free round, um, no Jamal Murray and Denver, like there is a path. If it's Phoenix, Utah in the conference finals, they could absolutely beat Utah. I think they could beat. The I Clippers. like them against Utah. Like yeah, when you watch them too. play against Utah, they're hundred um, percent. And I know Mitchell Murray, didn't play they could the last them. one. Yeah, no, they could beat Denver. I just think if they run into the size deal with the Lakers, the Lakers, they're fucked. But anyway, they just don't have the bodies. I mean, they're play. They play Sharich as a small ball five, Kaminsky no shot, and Aiton. Who you know what I love about Chris Paul was watching, um, watching the Utah game the other night. Yeah. All right. Aiton gets switched on Jordan Clarkson. Clarkson's trying to ISO him. He's trying to work him like 25 feet away from the hoop. Aiton works his ass off. So I know Phoenix people are going to be happy about me limiting the ceiling earlier, but I'm telling you, there's just parts of him that I like where he's gone, okay, well, this, if this is who I am limited a bit offensively with the way we play now, I'm going to try to make up for it in all these other places. So I think that part of Aiton's personality, his approach, that shit I love. He moved his feet and got his hands out and stayed in front of Jordan, throwing everything at him. And it was awesome. It's like, look at this big work and move his feet. He gets out, contest, miss. Paul brings the ball right down the court and gets it to Aiton to reward him for how hard he worked in isolation on defense. And look, Aiton didn't get the bucket, but Paul immediately went to him. I think Aiton might get fouled or it was knocked off of somebody else. And I go, you know what I think is dead? That. I think that's dead in today's NBA. Point card IQ. I right. got to take care of the yeah. big guy stuff. I go, how many other guys would know? And I, I just was at home, and it sounds so stupid, but I was home smiling, seeing this play happen because Paul was like, whatever ha was supposed, none of it matters now. I got to get him a bucket. I got to get him the ball and make him feel good about all of his hard work. And then I started running the Rolodex of all the players in the league. I go, I don't know that that group is more than five players that would even comprehend of doing something like that anymore. Yeah, it's that I remember being with Jacoby playing at USC with him. If, if he made a play like that, I always try to take care of him. That's that. what they it's said about you. Way, it's just the way you got to do it. Always take care of the big guy. But it is funny. It's such an important point. The, the old school classic born to be a point guard guys. 
versus what people think is a point guard. There's just so few of them. Like I, when I was growing up and we were going, when Bird showed up on the Celtics, but we had Tiny Archibald and I got to actually watch Tiny Archibald for two plus years there on those Celtics teams. He got hurt in 82. They, I think they were, it was actually, I guess four years, but really two where he was elite. And just to watch like everything he did, it was just like highest possible level, you know? And there's only like, I don't know, seven to 10 guys ever who have command on a game and, and that little subtle shit, like that Aiton example you gave and just things they remember and little morsels they give out to their teammates and they're just dictating and deciding every piece of the game. Who does that now? That That's the thing we're going to lose when Chris Paul leaves. There's not a single yeah, guy I remember watching even Gary Payne at the end of his career and he was the epitome of all these things. Now, granted, the idea that you would be like, no, I loved it back when point guards were guys you didn't have to guard because they never tried to score. I think we'd rather have the amazing offensive combinations that we have at the position with the shot making, the assist totals. Everybody just hands out assists like crazy now, but there's still playmaking from these guys. But that part of it where Gary Payton would see, hey, you know what? So-and-so hasn't gotten the ball like five or six possessions. So now he's not going to show as hard on a switch. Now maybe he's not going to box out as well, much. Nash, big was, guy. Nash yeah. was the best example of this, like especially in the 08, 09, 2010 range with the Suns when his teams weren't as good and he could still figure out how to extract everything possible out of like Jared Dudley and whoever. Like he just, just the fucking maestro. When who, I see Paul, is, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. No, just who is it when Chris Paul retires? It, it actually might die with him. I do think Steph has some of that in him, but, yeah, but not this not, year. Not this not, year. He's not full conductor. I control every point of the game. He affects it in a slightly different way, I feel like. But I, I do think the unselfishness is there, but I don't think... Well, the unselfishness is there because, I mean, who else would be as good as Steph and say... I mean, that's the part about Steph compared to other stars where I go, hey, do you other guys want to set screens off the ball and set like a second and third screen? And do you want to be a decoy cut and the play's over here? And then the, the stars are like, no. Run around yeah. and set screens on the backside. Like, I don't want to do that. That would suck. And Steph does your, those things. My number one, I still can't believe he squandered this gift guy. Not just for this conversation, but he's probably top five overall in any sport is Kenny Anderson. Because he had it. He had whatever we're talking about. He had it. And, you know, he, he had some issues when he was in the NBA and I get it, like it happens, but, um, that guy, there's a different version of his career where he's 17 years and all the same things that Chris Paul had. It's a bummer. Yeah. He was something else. I mean, he was, he was, when he was at Georgia tech, Unbelievable. You, were, you were like, I don't even want to watch big East games some nights. When, if Georgia Tech were on ESPN back when they had all the different stuff going on, and I, look, I was religiously watching every minute. I'd watch any Big East game. It was a Big East yeah. game. I was just going to watch it. But when Kenny was playing at Georgia Tech, that trumped everything. The March Madness, whatever year that was, um, was like, go to the bar. We're all watching this level in college. Um, too bad. Uh, all right, we'll take one more break. We'll do some All-NBA. This episode is brought to you by Taco Bell. If you're anything like me during a busy day of work, I need lunch that is just as fresh as it is delicious and easy. And the all new Cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell is exactly that, made with high quality ingredients like seasoned slow roasted chicken, pico de gallo, 
shredded purple cabbage and avocado verde salsa sauce. The new Cantina chicken tacos, burrito, and quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina chicken menu at Taco Bell now. So the big all-NBA question is going to be, is Luca a guard or a forward? Because it opens a path. I was texting with Zach about it over the weekend. I know he's going to talk about it on his pod as well. If you put Luca at forward, it opens up some guard stuff for people like Kyrie. If you put him at guard, it opens up the forward spot in a really fun way. And the truth is there's no answer whether he's a forward or a guard. So I ask you, would you put him at forward or guard or would you finagle it so that you can get the best team possible? Here is why you could argue put him wherever because the goal of a first-team All-NBA, in my opinion, is you want the most memorable guys of the season. So for me, it's Jokic, Giannis, Curry, and Luka. I think have to be first team. And then that fifth spot can move either way. And it's like, is is Dame having a good enough season to be a first team All-NBA guard versus can you sneak Kawhi in there? Um, even LeBron, if he has a really good next 10 games, something like that. What's Where where do you stand on the forward guard thing with Luca? I know you hate shit like this, but you have to answer. Yeah. <laughs> uh. No, I appreciate you asking me this stuff because I think it is more, it helps you with your home. Not that I think I would sway you on a vote um, because you're both stubborn people, but uh, I try to do my own today and it's it's really, really hard. It's harder this year in all the fake years that I've had to do it um, than the ones I remember. But I agree with you. Like I would rather look back and go, let's get the five guys who we feel like, is he one of the five best players in the league right now? The LeBron thing is tough because he'll have missed 21 games, but my first instinct here was to put Embiid there. Was to right. keep it big, put put Doncic as a guard, because I mean, it's not like he's not playing fucking point guard the entire game. So you could go Joker's unimpeachable, Giannis, and then I went with Embiid to kind of reward him for what he means to that team and what he's done, and you're going to say, like, for anybody, again, anybody that jumps out and says, oh, he's missed too many games, Pay attention as we go over all these names because I've written down every player that's in the mix and how many games they've missed. And I would like to put Steph there. Steph has to be there unless he gets hurt in the next 10 and misses more. Because Steph has only missed, it feels like he's missed more, but he hasn't. He's missed eight games. Because I I think some Dame people would go, well, Dame's played more than him. I don't know. Dame's missed five. Steph's missed eight. And Steph's better. So I would go Doncic, Steph. Giannis so, Embiid, Joker. So I have to veto Jokic and Embiid together on the first team because we, we've we been able to finagle some stuff with All-NBA with forwards and guards. Like there was a year where you could have talked me into LeBron. Last year, LeBron as a guard just because he was the point forward of that team. Like there's some chicanery at that. The one thing that has never changed with All-NBA over the years is we don't we don't shoehorn two centers in the top spot. The center position has been pretty unassailably the same. So until they switch that, I don't feel right about putting Embiid on first team. 
I, as much as I agree with you on like, let's reward the best five guys. There's just been too many years where that didn't happen, where we had, you know, you, you go back to the nineties when you're talking about when we had all the awesome centers, right. And we just couldn't do it. Like, or the, or the early two thousands when we had Weber, Duncan, Garnett, uh, T-Mac. And it was just like, look, only two of these guys could be first team on Bay, and it cost some of those guys historically. So to me, I, I, Embiid has to be second team all center, all NBA center. You don't think that Jokic plays in a way that even though he's listed as a center, I mean, is, I mean, he has almost as many non-paid touches as he does post touches. I think he has I know, but more, that's, actually. that's what's so silly about all this, right? Is like we're, you're creating this hypothetical team that doesn't actually exist, but you, you're trying not to bend it too much, right? So I just look at like, Right now, my tentative team, and there's 10 games left. And by the way, this isn't my official team because I'm not handing in my ballot until after the last game because I think too much, there's too much at stake. There's too many missed games and there's too many good players. That's what we love about you. But right now, <laughs> I got Jokic, Giannis, Kawhi, Curry, Luka. And to me, that's a team that would actually play together too, which I think should be one of the goals of the NBA. It should be a team that, a five that looks like a five. Second team, Embiid, Randall, LeBron, CP3, and Dame. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Embiid, Randall. Randall, LeBron, CP3, and Dame. And then I have Gobert, George, Zion, Mitchell, Booker. And on the cusp, not mentioned, Tatum, Butler, Kyrie, Beal, and then Harden, who I don't think Harden's going to make it. Played 34 Brooklyn games eight meaningless Rockets games and he's going to miss 30. So I, I don't see how he can make it. Yeah, I mean, Harden, if he had, if Harden missed 20 total games, because you can't, like you can make a mistake when you look at like, oh, he's only played 30 games with the Nets. Well, you can't say he's missed, I th- I don't know, what are they, 64 games or something like that? Um, yeah. You, you can't count the ones where he wasn't there. But the, the problem is, is that it doesn't look like he's going to play again here unless he gets he gets one warm-up so by the time his total games missed number is is compiled here it's going to be too much where if he could have stayed at 20 missed games on total in the season he's he's no worse than second team right right i mean you've got to put hard in second team but i don't know are you uh are you a little high on Kawhi putting him first team here i i don't feel good about it i i want lebron to get that spot just because I think he's one of the five best players in the league and I want him to get there. I think he has to play all the rest of the game. So I don't think right now he's missed 21. He's missed 21. I don't think he can miss another game. Basically 21 is like even over 20. I don't feel great about. I, I look at it this way. You want these three teams to represent the best 15 players in the league. Right? So it's like, all right, Bradley Beal should make it. He's averaging 31 a game, blah, blah, blah. Like he should get one of the guard spots. I watch a lot of basketball. I just don't feel like Bradley Beal is one of the best 15 players in the league. Like the guy that I feel bad about that I left out is Butler. And I don't feel like Butler's played enough games either. Butler's 47 out of 64. So he's right on the cusp. What's your third team again? Well, so it's Gobert, George, Zion, Mitchell, and Booker. And I think where you can get creative is you swap Butler in for Mitchell. Um, especially if Mitchell's going to miss more games or you swap Butler into Booker and just make Butler a guard. I think you can cheat that way with Butler because he's kind of 
perimeter guy. I don't know what position he is. Um, but yeah, but so when you say that, so why? I mean, I know your point on the two center thing, but you basically made up your own rules while you stuck to it. Well, but I think but, Butler's a forward and a guard. I think he kind of goes both spots, right? So is Joker. He's a center and a guard. But who? Who? Well, <laughs> that's fair. Like he's he's basically point center. I want to figure out a way to get Butler into the uh, into one of these teams, and I can't figure it out yet. Butler so, over Tatum. Yeah, I think so. I think I I just think what Butler's done for that Miami team, where it's like, who else is playing well in Miami? Bam, Bam's been awesome. That's it. N- name a third guy who's playing well for them. No, it's Bam, Bam and Butler. Beyond, you know, the efficiency never for Butler. Like some of the traditional stats look exactly the same; they really do. But then the efficiency stuff is up. Um, Bam taking big spikes in a couple different things. And then it's surrounding by disappointment. I mean, the hero thing, you'd think like his rookie card was like $1,200 at one point in the playoffs. What is it now? It's like $120. Uh, the Duncan Robinson thing, thought he would take a step up. He took a step down. You go so you're saying like these, his hero, his card is like the all those Greg Jeffries rookie cards I have? <laughs> he even might be. Might be. Um, yeah, Butler, I, I look for... Butler and Kyrie are the two. So Kyrie has played 48 to 65. He's missed 17. I've also personally witnessed him out of those 48 games he has played. He's been a zombie for like seven of them. But when he's on it, he's one of the best 15 guys in the league. Tatum's another one. When he's on it, he's one of the... So Tatum, Butler, and Kyrie, and then Beal... My point is, we just have a lot of good players, and you can't do the stump thing. You, this is a big Rosillo passion, where it's like, "Hey, we only have so many spots. Like, it, somebody can't be snubbed if I only have 15 spots and there's 21 good guys or whatever." Like, sorry, people are going to be unhappy. Like, it's just the way it goes. Um, it's just loaded. We've had years where you couldn't even come up with 15 guys last year. I mean, Westbrook made 13 because of two good months. It didn't make any sense. People look back and they're like, what happened? You don't have any issue leaving Beal off when he might end up leading the league in scoring. I'd agree that, you know, if you had to put a gun to my head saying Beal top 15 or just out of it, I think he's just out of it. But I think he's out of it. I test wise, I just don't feel like he's a top 15 guy. I don't. Okay, but what if he leads the league in scoring? What does that mean, though? I mean, they have two guys on that team who take all their shots. You know, who else is going to shoot in that team? Rudy so Hector you'd Mora? vote, you'd vote, <laughs> you'd vote Kyrie over Beal. The the case for Kyrie is just like the Nets might be the one seed where they're not going to, and they have three of the best guys in the league, and none of them are going to make All NBA. Like historically, how's that going to look? So at least like you, yeah, but we understand it. Team. I mean. Durant's missed a million games. Harden's going to miss half Is the somebody going to understand it 28 years from now? It's like Brooklyn won the title. They had no All-NBA guys. I would the, the argument for Kyrie is the moments where you watch him go for 24 in the first half and not miss and no one can do anything with him. And you go, okay, you know, he's not a top 10 player, but he is, you know, when Pod, a.k.a. Rod Strickland, said he's the most offensively talented player I've ever seen, and then people gave him shit. Like it actually isn't a crazy statement. Because then it gets turned to, is he saying he's the great? Well, of course, he's not saying he's the best player in NBA history. But the talent and 
the peak Kyrie moments are as special as anything you'll see during the season. Um, but there's going to be plenty of people who aren't going to vote for him because he took time off, and he took time off, I think, twice without telling anybody. So, you know, there you go. I mean, that that's, probably that probably That's why he's off it. my list right now. When I, I was waiting the, for you to say it. When I did the pod with uh, Harden, um, I mean, I'm sorry, when I did the pod with... I was like, Dur- wait, what? <laughs> I did the pod with one of the pods with Durant where he said he thought Kyrie was just better than Iverson, and it turned into a whole day of blog posts that uh, Durant thinks Kyrie is a more talented player than Allen Iverson was. He is. And the answer is he is. He's, he is. He's, he's the most coordinated guard other than Jordan that we've ever had. He, his ability to use his both sides of his body equally at the highest possible level, no matter what is going on, and just finish perfectly every time is unbelievable. On SportsCenter years ago, I said he's the best small finisher I've ever seen. And everybody yeah. just lost it because they go Iverson, Iverson, Iverson. Look at Iverson's peak years at the rim and then look at Kyrie's sustainability and actually getting better at it. Now, the counter to me is you say, okay, there's more room around the rim than ever before. You have to factor that in. You have to factor in with college players coming out of the draft. Like, it's a little bit easier to finish all the spacing. Yes, but at the same time, I've seen Kyrie finish with zero angle there against huge players going, no one else could make that layup. And he's the only one. So Yeah, his finishing would be like if Mahomes could throw with both arms. Which? Which would be maybe, maybe he's working right. on that in the offseason. So, so I guess the polarizing ones, because the foot, if Luca's a guard, it makes a lot of this a lot easier. But I'll be interested to see where Randall ends up. I think I'm higher on him than others. To me, he's like has to be a second team all NBA forward just because of the durability and the stats and his impact on that team. That team's going to be a four seed, and they don't have a single other player on that team who's even, you know, a borderline all star. I think that should matter. I know they're in a weaker conference, but uh, if he's going to average twenty five and ten and six, and that team's going to be a four seed, I don't know how he's not a second team all NBA guy. I went through it so. Joker's played all 64. Embiid's missed 19. Giannis has missed 10. Chris Paul's only missed one. Steph's missed eight. LeBron's missed 21. Anthony Davis is just out of the picture. He missed 35. Kawhi's missed 18. Mm. I wonder, I think that's going to be held against him more than, than you're factoring in. But like you said, when you yep. compare it to the rest of the guys, Paul George has missed 16. Harden's missed 17. Tatum's only missed seven. Randall's only missed one. He has to be on second or third team here. I put him on my second. And I thought I was kind of being weird. And then I go, you know what? I, I kind of want to do it. I think I'd rather put him second because he's he's been this important. I'm not saying he's better than Kawhi. I don't want to leave Kawhi off. I don't want to leave LeBron off. But I kind of want to reward a guy in this year, especially this year, who's been as good as him, has only missed one game. Gobert's only missed one game. And then you get to the other guys. Beal's missed nine. Lillard's missed five. Zion, Mr. Durability Issues, has played basically more than everybody else except for a couple guys. He's only missed five games. Kyrie's missed 17, which will be more. Um, Dame, Booker, Dame's missed five. You mentioned that. Booker's only missed four. Mitchell's missed 11. And Butler's missed 17. So Booker, Phoenix is 37 and 10 in their last 45, in their last, uh, or 37 and eight in their last four. No, 37 and 10 in their last 47. Um, Booker's 26, four and four, 49, 35, 87. To me, the case for him being third team on NBA is some of the shot making at the end of these games when they need him to score. 
I who would you rather about, have? Who would you rather have, Mitchell or Booker? Well, that that's the question for me. If it comes down to Mitchell or Booker for that spot, I just have to go with Booker because. Oh, because of the is, season or because of your player criteria here? Because, you know, I know... The stats are pretty even. Like, they really are. They're both like, they average 26 a game. I think Mitchell's usage rate is actually higher. The team's success is the same. And I have to go with the tiny intangible of, I just feel like in the last two minutes, when Phoenix needs him to score, and I've watched a lot of Suns this year, as have you, just because I enjoy watching them, I just think he gets really good shots. And I haven't seen, other than Drew Holiday that time, when Drew Holiday was in his jersey, I haven't seen guys really shut him down either. And I'm not sure what the move would be to shut him down. Because Thibel, he just gets Thibel to where he wants to go. Oh, Thibault was a good but one. You're right. Then, that was too. But then he, I, the analogy I use is Thibault had gotten Booker so many times, it was kind of like a fighter and learning yeah. the distance. And then Booker realized on that last baseline jumper, that he right. was like, this is how free I have to get away from Thibel's reach. And then Booker, who'd been quiet, went for like eight points in two minutes. And that was the game. Um, I, what's better than a guard who not not only can do all the things Booker does, but when he throws it in the 15-foot banker? I fucking love that. Nobody does, does those bank. The bank shots look so easy when in certain guys when they just kind of whatever. But he, I just love his array of shots. I think... In the playoffs, that team is going to get good shots in every series. They really are. They're going to get the shots they want at the end of games. That's why I'm so bullish on them unless they play the Lakers. I do think his life is a hell of a lot easier with Chris Paul. Because True. I, I also feel like you've done kind of your own personal Neesmith on Booker. Because I remember a time when when Bill, Bill S. Simmons didn't like him that much. I never denied the talent. I just didn't. I don't like crowning these dudes who haven't won anything yet. Right. Win some, so would, win some games, and that's when I get excited. If you could start your team around either guy, you would start it with Booker before Mitchell. No, I don't know the answer to that yet because I, I it would depend on what kind of team I have. I think Mitchell's more of a one-man, is a better one-man show type of guy. Yeah, I, I'd still lean Mitchell. You know what I mean? Yeah, I still lean Mitchell, and I think missing seven more games, is that really that much of a tiebreaker? I mean, with the one seed Who would you rather have on Phoenix, Mitchell or Booker? Well, I definitely rather have Booker with Paul. Yeah, but I think I like Mitchell better. If I were starting a team tomorrow and I had a pick of either guy, I, I think I'd take Mitchell. Man, that's a tough one. But I'm not. I, I'm not like convinced. I'm right. I just. You know, you know who's in the All NBA waiting room, and I can't believe he's here, and I can't believe we're getting him a water right now. Russell Westbrook. I'm not voting for him, but he's he's in the fucking green room again. He just has to be. That team makes the playoffs and he's 22, 11, or 11, and they're doing everything. And that team has nobody on it other than him and Beal. Okay, but let's do let's do all the guards again. Real I'm not, quick. I'm not so, making the case for him. I'm just saying he's in the green room and I'm surprised that he's here. I agree. But it's it's worth at least mentioning his name. But if we're going the first four spots, it's Steph Doncic, Chris Paul, Lillard, and then Kyrie ahead of him. I think Beal's ahead of Westbrook. Um, Mitchell and Mitchell Booker, and Booker. if you're going to pl play that game to get the other forwards in there. So he's I just the, think he's it's, in the five spot. Like, I think if you're going Westbrook, you start mentioning Trey Young, too. Yeah. 
Um, I can't remember all NBA coming down to the last 10 games more than this. Usually with 10 games to go, we know. I know it's a shorter season, but all the injuries have really thrown a wreck. Uh, we'll take one more break and then we'll get weird. We are supported by Men's Warehouse. When you wear a tailored Men's Warehouse outfit, it makes you feel confident like you can do anything, whether it's a sharp, well-fitted outfit that makes you want to roll back the ears and dance like no one is watching at a wedding, or a suit that makes you feel like you've got the job before you walk into a job interview. You should definitely give Men's Warehouse a shot, and here's why. Men's Warehouse, the only nationwide men's clothing store that has a tailor in every store to fit your suit, shirt, jeans, et cetera, to your body and men's warehouses everywhere with 600 plus locations nationwide. So if you need one and you will, there's one near you feel like you can do anything in an outfit from men's warehouse, visit your men's warehouse store or click or tap to shop online. This episode is brought to you by Workday. Get the whole band together with Workday and pair finance and HR on one platform for an epic performance with Workday AI at the core. You'll make confident decisions faster than ever and you'll drive flawless business and finance operations with an agile platform that constantly evolves to future-proof your organization. Be a finance and HR rock star with Workday. Visit workday.com to learn more. All right, coming back. We're done with basketball. Um, I like Mac Jones more than you. Just leave it at that. You've done I don't a lot know of Mac that Jones true. content. I, I think you just talked. Now you're excited, so you want it to be true. I like Mac Jones, all right? I remember texting McShay when he was doing one of the games. Like, you know what I love about Mac? His feet in the pocket. Like, that to me is a huge thing. You have mm. mobility in the pocket. The release is really quick. But I have a hard time with the in-between guys. I, I don't know. And I don't love when a quarterback needy team like New England in this case goes, oh, and I also think the Saban-Belichick thing is if, oh, well, you know, Saban signed off on it. I don't know. I think Bill's been susceptible, rather impressionable to a lot of the college coach buddies that he's had where he's taken a bunch of those guys that haven't worked out. Some yeah. have. So there's things there. If Mac Jones is their quarterback for 10 years and he's really good, I'm not going to be shocked. And if he flames out, I'm not going to be shocked. I guess I'm just not going to talk myself into him the way you would. I loved it on Thursday night. I loved it more the more I talked to my dad about it all weekend as uh, we just kept talking about it because they got him at 15. They didn't have to give up any extra assets. Yeah. And if he pans out, it's an unbelievable salary situation where you have this guy who could be your starting quarterback for like 3 million bucks, you know, and that's it. And you have this four-year window where it's like, oh, this is cool. Um, the draft itself though, Night one was the first 15 picks were iconic. I love the stuff you did on your podcast on Friday with Kevin about the Rogers tweet, the Rappaport. Let's breaking, do that then. Let's do Rappaport that. Rappaport breaking Jeopardy it. news. No, it's just hilarious. The, oh, he might, he could host Jeopardy. Um, Rogers completely manipulated the whole day. I think, I actually believe that he wants to host Jeopardy. I don't think he's ready to walk away from football. I think he cares too much about the football legacy stuff. It's weird to me how much he's anti-Green Bay. I don't really understand that. To me, it's like he's blaming the organization the more I look at this. I just don't think he wants to live there anymore. I really think it's that simple. I think he wants to live in the West Coast and be closer to LA and closer to the girl he's dating and and closer to Jeopardy and closer to... I, I think he's just done with Wisconsin, but he doesn't want to say it because he doesn't want the Packer fans to turn on him. So it's all these other things. It's like, what do the Packers do wrong, really? They're trying to draft defense to... to have a contending team? Is that a bad thing? They drafted Jordan Love because they thought he was an asset. They're not allowed to do that. 
I don't know. Are they are they fucking assholes? Like I wouldn't say so. Should they talk to him more? Should they should they get his opinion more? Like I don't know. That team doesn't have an owner. They're owned by fucking everyone in Wisconsin. Their their president is just some former football player that got nominated to be the president of the team. Like the whole situation is weird, but it just seems to me like he doesn't want to live in Wisconsin and deal with it anymore more than he's being dissed. People are acting like they're like sending dog shit to his house. Like, is it really that bad? Like you almost made the Super Bowl last year. The Matt LaFleur was a good hire. He did a good job as a coach last year. It wasn't like he was a shit hire. I get not liking the Jordan Love pick. All right. I get it. But there was some stuff there with Rodgers where it didn't look like he was playing as well. So maybe their evaluation for two straight years. Right. So maybe their evaluation of love was that he was a top seven guy and he was maybe the number one quarterback on their board. And they went, all right, you know, this position is really, really tough. So let's do something here. So I can understand why they did. I can also understand why he's pissed off. But I'm with you. I need more. I need more. I need more from Aaron Rodgers to start demanding that the GM is fired. Okay. In the whole, I want to be near my girlfriend. You play pro football, bro. You're not, you're not cold calling 250 fucking days a year at Dean Witter. So this is not something where you can't play football professionally in Green Bay and then live somewhere else for basically seven or eight months a year. You almost made it to the Super Bowl. Yes, it sucks that the defense, because I defend Rodgers on this when people want to point to his playoff record, and then it's like, yeah, I think the defense allows like 37 points per game and all those playoff losses. That sucks. But they have had weapons. They've invested in the offensive line. They've invested... You know, it was weird at times. I'll agree too. Like Ty Montgomery, wide receivers playing running back. Like, what the hell are you guys doing? Like, it felt like a Belichick thing where it's like, how weird can I make this and how challenging can I make it for Brady? So, yeah, I, I can understand that there are moments, but for you to start demanding that the GM is fired, I need more. And the fact that this was so calculated, where they gave every major NFL guy a little bit, a piece of information that was a little bit different. And that's why the Rappaport thing where I get why Rappaport puts it out there because it's going to get play. But I mean, it's so fucking stupid. Like imagine, imagine Colin Cowherd's contract being up and then an agent at CAA leaking to like a guy, a media guys like, you know, Cowherd, he was fly fishing the other day in Montana and his guide said his, his touch and feel was unbelievable. And he could, he could be a competitive fly fisher tomorrow. He could also, do it tomorrow. Like it was we- so we we all saw the Aaron Rodgers Jeopardy stuff. He was good for an athlete. Right, right. So but, that's the other part of it, too. So but, that then an agent had to tell Rappaport. Rappaport's like, cool, I'm going to use this. And all of us, like you said, it's like, all right, dude, that was really cool that you got to do that. But give me a break. Yeah, like Joe Buck's going to be better than you hosting Jeopardy. He just is. He'll be better <laughs> at it. He does it for a living. He's a professional right. media dude. You're a quarterback. I. And I then thought, to like, do it, but to do it on draft day. So it's like, we're going to show yeah. them. We're going to fuck with everybody. And then it's all going to be Aaron Rodgers talk. We're going to own the day. And that's when you start letting your people, hey, if you really want it out of there, do it before trade the trade market. Do it before free agency. If you really are that mad about all of this stuff, because did something happen between then and now? Or did you come up with this timeline where you're going to own it? I mean, you said something to text to me today, but he missed his calling. He should have been right. in another sport, right? Yeah, I, I texted you. He he missed his calling. He should have been an NBA player. He'd be perfect. It's, it's so much easier to do this in the NBA because you can just bully your way to whatever team you want to go to. The NFL is a little tougher. And you also can't kind of quit on your teammates in the same way in the NFL. Oh, uh, we just haven't we haven't had it enough yet. It's gonna it's it's happening. This you is think it'll beginning. happen? Oh yeah, yeah. This is this is part of it. It's gonna start happening more. Um, 
you know, guys would just start being miserable. I mean, if Rodgers doesn't want to come back and play and then somebody finally says, hey, here's a couple firsts for the guy and we'll we'll have his his send-off be with us for a few years, then maybe a team will do it. I don't know if it's worth two firsts, but the guy we just saw win, what, did he win MVP? Who knows? I, the NFL MVP is just, it would be like if if you trained MMA for a week. Well. And, no, like you really trained it and you had a couple good sparring sessions. And then I was like, ah, Silla might leave the ringer. You know, he's thinking about fighting in UFC 268. He thinks he could be the be the champ. Like, what what is this? Aaron Rodgers, you're you're not gonna be the Jeopardy host. What are you doing? He has a better chance of being a Jeopardy host than, yeah, than I do. But no, but that's exactly what it is. It's, like, what are you doing? You're not gonna be the Jeopardy host. And you're not gonna be able to play football and be the Jeopardy host. If they really wanted out, do this months ago. Yeah. If you really want out because you've been so wronged, I need better information, which we haven't gotten. Um, more guys are going to start doing this. So the ball's in his, like he can sit there, but I cannot express this enough. The fact that Mark Murphy was there for the Favre bullshit where he retired all the time, by the way, Aaron did win MVP. Um, Congrats. That they, the whole reason they transitioned into Rodgers is they were sick of a quarterback dictating who they were as a franchise. Like yeah. it's one thing for Favre to retire and go, hey, you know what? The old the old bones are ready to sling it, you know? But he did it four years in a row. The final like, hey, dude, see you later. We can't do this with you anymore. I think that's an important part of this story where I still am waiting for the GM in the NBA, or maybe we'll have it here in the Packers, where they just go, No. <laughs> you know, if the Rockets had just gone to Harden and said, No. Like this is gross. You don't care. Well, you're basically, I, it, you're basically in retrospect, saying, that was a much better version than what actually they did, where they got a bunch of shitty picks and nothing else. Congrats! I, it will take somebody. And look, Stone, the GM of the Rockets, gets the gig post Daryl. He doesn't have the equity built up. Um, you know, I don't know if he's good or bad, but if I, there's, have, I have some. <laughs> I have some answers. You have some thoughts. That Harden uh, trade is an abomination. It was bad when it happened, and it's yeah, worse now. It's it's even worse now. It's one it of is. the worst trades but of the last twenty years. It'll take a GM with some equity with the team and ownership and all that stuff. When the next guy asks out for like two or two plus years, where he goes, mm, no, I'm not going to just trade you, and I'm not just going to trade you to one team, and I'm not just going to trade you for like three real picks and a bunch of fake fucking swaps that are never going to happen so that I can say that I have seven picks coming. Um, so we'll see what happens. But this is not being handled well. Rodgers can want out all he wants. He needs to do a better job of getting out. I didn't like how he handled it. I The, the hissy fit on draft day, and then, as you pointed out in the Clark podcast, uh, parceling out the leaks to the different reporters so nobody took it personally that they didn't get involved in the Aaron Rodgers leak buffet. Um, I don't know. Green Bay came pretty close to making the Super Bowl last year. It's hard to basically... You, the Belichick thing's, to me, completely different with Brady, where, you know, over and over again, they kind of were like, look... We're not adding to your contract. We're going to do whatever we want. We're not getting you good enough weapons. And Brady was like, fuck this. I want to play to 45. That was a breakup that made a lot more sense than this breakup. 
Because you would say the Packers still have one of like the six or seven best chances to make the Super Bowl right now. So what are you upset about Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, but the Brady one's more disrespectful in that they Belichick, won I think, a bunch was trying of to make them. Right. They're trying to make, well, not only is it the resume, but it was like trying to prove some point that you're not worth a few extra million to make you feel better about it. I mean, the Brady thing should have never happened. And Belichick had to show that he was going to do with Belichick no matter what to like prove some yeah. point. And the the Packers actually here will give Rodgers more money if he wants. And you can afford it too, because when the new TV deal kicks in, you know, even if he's older and that number's too big, it's not even going to fucking matter. So I... I really think that the Brady one is so much more disrespectful once we'll once we'll get the full Agreed. scope of what it is. Um, and most of us, I think, kind of have a pretty I think good the, the Rogers media coverage is just bonkers to me. Like there was an article in People magazine, and it was about his the Shailene Woodley and the Great Relationship. And this is a quote in the People magazine piece. Quote This is from an insider about the engaged couple. Quote. This relationship differs because they had extra time to experience what is important to them and what they want. They are attracted to each other and have found something they didn't find in others. What fucking friend of yours would ever have a quote like that about, about Rad Rosillo if you found a girlfriend? They're attracted <laughs> to each other and have found something they didn't find in others. This relationship there. Like, what world are we in? Wait, these loops right. are just fucking bonkers. <laughs> but I'm when I so read, confused by I'm, all of it. I'm so glad you added that in there because I, I don't have a subscription that ran out with people. But... I am probably about as famous as I'll ever be, which isn't very much. And that's, that's, you know what I mean? I've done a bad job of trying to be more. I, I, I've just, I've just, there's still time. I still, feel I know, like you, but I, yeah, you can get it. Well, whatever I do, the next thing that's big, it'll be behind the scenes probably anyway. So the point is, is that if I were to this level, I would have so much fun telling my friends to say some stupid fucking thing about me to people magazine <laughs> to like this it. would be these would be my mondays i'd be like get clear the mondays we're calling up hal mcgurk sully and we're just gonna sit there and we're gonna be like all right sully you tell esquire and be like rosilla was down in the dumps and he like honestly he could do better but he was on such a cold streak that he was like sully fuck it <laughs> Like it would be, I would have so much goddamn fun with this premise that people close to me would become sources about my personal life that I'd be like, you guys can say whatever you want, make up shit, please. And then we'd see it and we'd laugh and, and fun would be had by all. Sources said Ryan, Ryan was glowing in his new relationship, but then it turned out it was just because he had a good workout. (laughs) Ryan, they had a terrible breakup. They were working out together and he said, will you stop fucking joining me on heavy days? Heavy days are your cardio. Heavy days are my days. Leave me alone. And that's when it all fell apart. Um, I don't know. Is it possible quarterbacks just get weird when they hit their late 30s? Because this is when Brady got weird too. Nobody's weirder than Aaron Rodgers. All right. So there's that part of it. And then... um, I don't, I don't care about any of this stuff. The, the idea that because you're in a relationship with an actress and then somehow now you're looking at life differently, plenty of people get married, man. Ton, look at the stats. Tons yeah. of people have, like, whenever you're like, oh, he's got a kid now, he's a father, he's different. I, I don't see the population going down anywhere. We're at a pretty big fucking number globally right now. So 
there's a lot of people out there that have kids and have love lives and, and have a, a harder deal than you and a huge struggle. So somehow, like, you're so in love that this is going to dictate. And again, I think this is all bullshit, so it might not even be Roger's deal, but his people, the people that are leaking this stuff, handling this, do you really? I guess it is working because other people are eating this shit up, but I, I just, I read it and go, <laughs> like, he's the first guy that ever fell for somebody, and now it's like, man, this NFL, like, did she... When did she find out he was a quarterback? After a year? <laughs> you do <I> what? <laughs> she knows him as a Jeopardy host. Um, it'll have a weird ending that will end up, I think, him forcing a trade in June or July. He'll probably get his way. Because that's cause... when the, the cap thing, it makes it easier for them to trade him. They have Jordan Love. They could just get a bunch of picks. They'll get one stud. And uh, and go, but I I just don't know. I guess the team would be Denver. There was a lot of Denver rumors. Denver could throw some stuff in the trade, but you know. Well, the funny thing about Denver, though, remember, is that Manning went to Denver because Elway was like, "We'll do whatever you want." I know what it takes to win. I know what it's like to be in your shoes. I knew how hard it was, and Manning bought into it. Whereas Harbaugh, when he was at San Francisco, told Manning, "We're going to run our stuff." <laughs> Manning was like, uh, all right, I'm going to go to Denver. And what Manning did was covered for Elway. So I used to kind of defend Elway. And then you dig deeper into what this Elway situation is with this Denver trust in, in the whole team, which is weird in itself. So that he kind of did that deal we were talking about a little bit earlier is he gets promoted, which really meant you were doing such a bad job with the roster the last few years. So in fact, Elway, Manning saved his ass more than Elway created some paradise some nfl paradise for him so if rogers is going to denver being like hey they did it with manning it's like well no actually you have to cover for and i still like the best version of the denver roster there's still a lot of guys that i really like yeah but their quarterback play has been such a disaster um that i mean look they, they were hoping to get average play a few years because that defense was so good and they didn't even get that so look rogers would come in he would make the team better but the manning elway thing would be played out in the media where i don't know that it really was elway as much as it was Peyton coming in there and playing. I don't feel like as a society, we're having enough fun with athletes who start to get a little weird. I think Twitter has really changed the game because people are kind of afraid the athlete's going to clap back at them and then all of their fans will go. And it's like, it's a little more walking on eggshells now. I think you made a great point. Aaron Rodgers is really weird. He just is. Like, he really thinks he's going to be the next Jeopardy host. I don't think he does. I think an agent told that to Rappaport. And, I don't I mean, know. I, I I actually think he really wants to be the next Jeopardy host. Joe, Did Joe Buck host it yet? Joe Buck should be the next Jeopardy host. I think he'd do a good job. Joe tweeted out a picture of him like prepping by the pool saying he's Joe never Buck been more nervous. He'll do yeah, great. Joe Buck's, Joe Buck's incredible. On Joe Buck should be who, the, the, guess what? He's had 30 years of reps. He'll do a really good job. Um, hey, let me throw this at you though, off of that real quick. Yeah, it's because you know how people say like we've never been more divided. We've never been more divided as a country. And it was funny because I had mentioned this on my podcast, but I just finished that Michael Lewis book, Losers, which was uh, Trail Fever. It came out after the 1996, you know, primaries and and Clinton running for reelection, and he ended up going up against Dole. And Lewis basically starts the book on the GOP trail and and falling around all these characters that like you and I would remember, but you're just like, oh my god. So it's an awesome book, and it actually didn't do that well. And a lot of the stuff is is alarmingly similar. Like, oh, the border, we've never been more divided. Our morals mm. are crumbling as a society and all this stuff. And you're like, this is crazy. Like, this, a lot of this stuff is the same right now. 
But the difference is, and it's based on the roommate theory that I've always had, is if you think about all the people in your life that you got to know better, how many people are you like, hey, I really like that person even more versus the number that you'd say, I got to know him and I really don't like that person now. That number is larger <laughs> in the second group. It always is. It just yeah. is. Because the more you get to know more people, you're like, oh, I liked him. And then we lived together for a little while. And you're like, that sucks. The roommate theory applies to all of us right now because with how much we've all shared over the last decade with Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, we've never known each other better. And this speaks to athletes as well. We know everybody better. We know all of each other way better than we ever could have at any other point in history. And what we're realizing is we don't like each other that much. That's a good one. Like KD is victimized by that, right? When KD what, three, four times a year, he gets involved in some dumb Twitter thing that he shouldn't wait in. And it's almost like he's one of your buddies like, oh, come on, KD. Why are you getting involved in this again? Stop. You know, and meanwhile, I mean, I know I'm a tiny bit, but. Um, Have you ever said anything to him? No, because I don't know him that way, yeah. you know, but I, I, if he asked for my opinion, I would be like, get off Twitter, dude. It's, it's not, not great for you. But I think there's some people that we watch from afar and are like, yeah, why do we do it that way? Why do we do it this way? Um, I'm with you. I think we know way too much about everybody these days. And we don't like mystery, it. Mystery was more fun. In the late 90s would have just been like, Limp Biscuit, who the fuck is Fred Durst? And you just had no like, idea. Besides <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, Truth, did you ever buy a Limp Biscuit t-shirt? Um, No. Do you have a friend that did? Was not a fan of Limp Biscuit. Oh, all right. Um, I, I'll t I have a story. Remind me to tell you a story. Like, f let me, can I save a Limp Biscuit story for like a couple months from now? Yeah, we do, I do limp, have one. We can do Limp Biscuit Corner. <laughs> limp Biscuit Corner. Parent Corner. I Let me do a quick parent corner. My yes, daughter, please. My daughter turned 16 this weekend. I have a 16 year old daughter. Let me tell you something. When they say it goes by fast, they weren't kidding. I know. That's, that's crazy, I man. You. I don't know. I, I remember, really I remember have... when you had her. Like, we we were email occasional buddies. Yeah. That's when we first, first started ever talking. It's probably about, yeah, it makes sense. I think like 04, 05 is when we first started talking. And um, yeah, that's I was nuts. thinking, here, here's my parent corner about this. You know, you have this ride with your kid, but then around like age 15, Eh, maybe earlier, maybe 14, heading into 15, heading into 16, you just become less and less irrelevant to them. You're basically like chauffeur slash um, provider slash uh, ATM. And it just keeps going that way until they go to college. And then I apparently it circles back at some point. I wish it was like sports where, you know, you see it go in a certain way and I could, I could replace her with like the Jordan love, just bring, bring in, I basically like <laughs> 60 year old Zoe is now I've, I've shipped her off and 10 year old Zoe is back. The one from six years ago. And then I just get to do the cycle again. Like it's sports, but it doesn't work that way in real life. They just kind of go away. They don't need you as much. Yeah, I know. And that's going to be, I think it's probably way tougher with the daughter part of it too, but like what, like I've been lucky enough, you know, to become closer with you and and consider you a friend. And you know, we used to do these pods in person because it was cool. Yeah, to get me out. That'll of the happen house. again. I'm vaccinated right. now. We might be back. All right, I'm I'm almost there. We're halfway there. But, um, 
I'm always really impressed with her. I'm really impressed. Oh, with that's her. nice. No, because I think one of the cool things is when you see somebody's a little bit younger, how do they handle themselves around older people? Because yeah. older people just sort of, you know, like, oh, there's older guys here. Like, who the hell is this dude? Now, look, Ben's Ben, I'm worried about. But Zoe, is, <laughs> <laughs> she just I don't know, man. She she just handles herself really, really well. And I would want like, ben. what are you like as a soccer dad with her? Soccer dad now, it's like a reps thing, right? It's almost like playing quarterback. The first couple of years, a lot of interceptions, a lot of panic in the pocket, a lot of things you take back. Um, you make a million mistakes. There should be actually be a course for how to be a soccer dad. This might not be a terrible idea. There was a game, I remember um, early on when it was like small nets, like 7v7. Um and they had like a quiet game. They had actually had a game where the parents weren't allowed to yell anything at the kids and the kids all played better and enjoyed it more. Where it was like, we, you, nobody's allowed to say anything. It was like, cool. And every, and it was better. And then the next day it went all back to, yes, it's just parents screaming constantly. And, uh, and everybody misbehaves. Everyone gets mad at these poor refs who are making $20 an hour. And it's ludicrous. When it gets later, when it gets to like age 15, 16, my daughter's playing on a team with 17 year olds. It's a year older. And it's just, there's a calmness in the crowd. Nobody really says anything. There's no wild card dads. Um, People aren't yelling at the refs unless it's like really egregious. Nobody's yelling at their kid at all. It's just experienced veteran soccer dads at that point. It's better. Everyone's made their mistakes. Yeah. You know how like what life we weeds us all out to a certain way, you know, like we're still, yeah. there's still other levels we can be weeded out here, but there's nothing that tells you how quickly you're weeded out when it comes to youth sports, because everybody plays and everybody thinks they're going to play. And then by the time high school rolls around, you're like, not many guys are playing anymore. I imagine it probably the byproduct of that is that it's weeding out the parents that had ridiculous expectations anyway because now their kids the kids that were playing that they were screaming about when they were younger the kid just doesn't have that interest and that parent is kind of not to say that there aren't still some crazy ones because i've friends with enough guys that have coached you know high level high school football and baseball and basketball to go man the parents can really drive you crazy but i'm I'm sure it's probably a little bit better at a more advanced age when everybody realizes they're out there with like a purpose well you know what happens with girls a lot of them will fade out around 14 15 you'll see it like they'll get they'll maybe they'll start um they'll start wanting to go out more they get a boyfriend they have other interests um or they're just tired of of dealing with the dad part of it or the parent part of it or the mom part of it or whatever and they just the boys are just kind of like they're like dogs they're just running around they're crazy um the girls they definitely you can see some of them starting to survey like eh, is this worth it is it worth it to go to practice four days a week? Do I want to do this way? Yeah, totally. I mean, look. Um, yeah. Because they, the reason I say this, it's not a sexist thing. Girls are just smarter. They're better at like the big picture stuff and weighing like, is this worth it versus that worth it? Whereas like boys are just kind of like plow ahead. And uh, that's one thing I've noticed. Like some, if you, if you have like the annoying overbearing dad, those, those kids are mostly out of it unless they're like just incredibly talented because they're like, fuck this. I'm out. I'm going to go, I'm going to go do this instead. I'm going to, I'll sing or I'll become an influencer or whatever. 
that's my that's my uh that's my take. You I don't know. Dri- you can drive yeah. your kid out of youth sports way faster than you can turn them into a star. Because I always, you know, I don't know if it'll happen for me, but I always would wonder if I would approach the parent part of of youth sports the same way that I handled my opinions. You know, where if we were driving back in the car and I've got a 10-year-old daughter who played soccer and she had a bad game and she's complaining and saying she was better than like, three of the other teammates and i'd be like you think you're better than you're like the sixth best player on the team <laughs> yeah like, what let's you, go through the list <laughs> yeah like right okay first of all right now like you could have a good month but you know your usage rate's a little high you know so i think i'd be so brutally honest maybe it's better off that i'm not yeah we have i'm actually like helpful with her now i don't know if i always was in the past but i i do know sometimes good advice to give that actually can be helpful. You know, like one of the things this, cause she's playing with older kids. Let's go the, through the list. <laughs> let's go through the list. Who's, I'll give you five better than you. But one of the things is like, as it gets older and more advanced, it's super physical. Yeah. And you almost have to match the physicality versus kind of reacting to the physicality and stuff like that. So we, we talk about shit like that after we never talk about like, Why'd you do that? Why'd you do this? Cause you, you know, it's, it's almost more positive, thoughtful. That's the car ride home now. When, when she was like seven, eight, there were times where I'd just be like silence for a half hour. I'd be so mad that you didn't try it. Meanwhile, it's like an eight year old kid and you realize eventually like, oh wait, what am I doing? Yeah. I'm not helping at all. This is, I'm going to make her, you know, and then you kind of figure it out on your own. Some people don't figure it out though. No, plenty, plenty don't. But it says more about the parent, though, to me than anything. Right. You know, I don't I don't I, you know, I don't I, my my perspective is always a little weird because I am the oldest of five and I played for my father growing up and all that different stuff. And he was great with me, but I would, could tell when he was trying different things with me, too. You know, I could I could tell because there were stretches where I was a huge disappointment because I was so small and he was enormous. Yeah. And so if I'd have a bad stretch and I was always playing in leagues for the most part, like a lot of the travel stuff, everybody was older and a lot bigger than me, but he'd still be pissed when, if I were just like not playing well, but then he would try to balance it with something else. And I've never, I don't resent any of it. I mean, it was just, I knew what he was trying to do. He was trying to motivate me, but it was just frustrating because I was so small, but he, um, he was always, he was always trying and it, and I know this sounds nuts because none of it really matters. We're talking about youth sports and all that kind of stuff, but it's for a kid that's going to play a sport for a long time and growing up for the parents that are listening to this part of the podcast. I don't know that there's a perfect approach to it. I mean, it's a lot like coaching where you can push certain buttons, but the buttons you push with one kid are going to not work with another. Like I used to have to be yelled at, like I would get, I'd have a bad start. and My dad would call a timeout and he would lean into me and be like, so you, you know, yeah, remember I told you that joke. He's like, you, you decided you weren't going to play well on the ride over here today, huh? <laughs> <laughs> or we'd leave after a bad game and be like, you lost the game on the ride over. And I'd be like, but he was doing it to piss me off because that was the best way to get the most out of me. Um, but I, I got to imagine, like, I don't know if it's, if it's different having a daughter versus having a son, but however you're trying to like, it sounds like she's pretty self-motivated at this point. She's playing a long time. She's really good. You know, we talked about her a little bit here. But 
figuring out which buttons to push without feeling like the overbearing dad, but who's a dad who's also made a living in sports and obsessive sports. You spend your entire life like with these observations. It's a lot to put together into one package. Well, it's also a big time commitment for the parents. And that's that's what I would say as as part of parent corner for the younger for the younger parents out there who had the kid who's like six, seven, is like, oh, it'd be awesome. It's it's a fucking commitment. Like we drove we had a game today. It was like an hour or a Saturday it was, uh, I don't know, hour and a half there, two hours back. Stopped at Jim, brought my dad, stopped at Jimmy John's on the way back, had some sandwich in the car on the way home. Um, wall to wall traffic on the 405. It's like, yeah, this is like Saturday. So seven hours, six hours, whatever it is. And it's like, you know, nine, 10 years of it. So, you you want your your kid to at least like what they're doing, and I I think if that's well, the hockey parents, the hockey parents out there, like the hockey had, parents is a whole other level. That's right. like it's, oh my god. My greatest regret in life is not being a pro hockey player, not because of the money, but because I would have been the best guy as a retired pro hockey player. Like I, there's no there's no personality group that I fit in with better than that group socially. He could be like, oh, yeah, Rosillo, yeah, he played hockey. He was with the Canucks for a little while. It's a different and, breed. Right. And so whenever it was brought up, my father was like, first of all, the idea that you're not playing basketball and you're playing something else isn't going to happen. But then he was he would actually said to me, he's like, you think I'm going to get up at four in the morning and bring you to the rink? And he's like, you're playing basketball. Like, and like discussion. That was the only time it ever came up. Um, but you're right. They're different. They're different. And all these, tra- like every now and then when we're texting, like how many different times have you been out of the state for soccer? I mean, twice, twice this month, but you know, as it at, opens le- up, at right. least with the soccer, like it's the games are an hour and a half and you're outdoors. And especially when it gets to the higher level, it's really fun to watch the baseball. I was kind of psyched when Ben stopped playing baseball. The baseball is brutal. Like those double headers, the, the, the hundred degrees outside, uh, he'd play third base for, you know, three straight innings. Nobody hit a ball over there and bat once, and, you know, then somebody gets mercy ruled and you're just like, what I mean, just think happened? about, think about where we grew up too. like high school baseball games in the Northeast. Nobody went to those. Nobody goes like people go to your basketball games. People go to the football games. Hell, even soccer, because at the beginning, it's the fall semester. You're in high school. You want to be out doing social stuff. And then you'd be watching the baseball players trudge over to a rainy field, wonder if they're going to get seven innings in. And you just go, you're going to stand out there and freeze your ass off. And the the bat would just fucking sting so hard in your hand. And nobody's there. I'll tell you, people missed it, though. Because you could feel the Saturday's game which they lost um, was the first one where really none of the parents had masks on outside. Cause I think it, pretty much all the parents are vaccinated at this point and we're just sitting in the stands and it was like, Oh yeah, kind of missed this. It's been, you know, 14 months really since it felt like relatively normal to be out there and hanging out, watching a, watching a soccer game. But um, yeah, I will say rooting for your own kids still trumps anything else. That's that would be my number one thing with uh, being a sports parent. It's still the most fun to watch your own kid, and I I'm, I don't mean that in like a narcissistic like egomaniac way. It's no, just like no, it's think. it's like all of your all of your favorite teams combined. That's what well, it's like. Sounds like I got to adopt a kid this week. <laughs> just have one. Go and have play, one, man. That doesn't the, play hockey. 
pandemic is uh, over. Yeah, we missed it with Ben. He, I really think he could have been a really good hockey player and we got him skating like a year too late. And it's like, if you miss the window, it's over. You can't like make up the ground skating. If you start skating at age six, it's you, these other kids, they're skating at four, then you're, you're put with the younger Not the great kids. ones. Not the great ones. There's always, there's always got to be out there at age four. I think other sports you can pick up. The hockey is just tough. But yeah, I always I like, like when we there's dodged like, a huge bullet, though. <laughs> yeah, you did. You dodged a bullet on the time commitment part of it. Oh, my God. The, fo- the 4 a.m. rink thing. Why aren't there more rinks? Have we ever figured this out? How fucking hard is it to have more rinks? It's not like they're that like that spacious. Dude, the, pro- the, the markup on open skate, you just can't get those time slots. Crazy. What else do you want to know about sports parenting? Anything? No, I think I covered it. You think you got it? All right. Yeah. Yeah, we're at like the two hour, 12 minute mark of, of this recording. So we should probably go. Uh, what do you have rest of the week? Daniel Jeremiah, Tuesday, massive trying to wrap up draft stuff. Maybe still needs for teams. I'll think of some hook to tease you to listen to it. Trent Dilfer is going to stop by this week. I'm going to try to get every Aaron Rodgers piece of information out of him. I possibly can. Um, Thursday, I'd like to have you on if I could. Because we didn't do this on the segment tonight, but based on the Chris Paul conversation, which I don't want to do again, maybe we can't do Thursday. But I really want to do the however many. What's the list of players in the NBA that truly change who you are as a franchise? Because I don't think the list is more than five players. I mean, really change who you are as a franchise. And the irony would be that I think Chris Paul is one of them, but I wouldn't say he's a top 10 player in the league by any stretch because the top 10 players are pretty locked in right now and they're awesome. Um, And then this is going to be something kind of different on Thursday. This is a really long tease. Sorry. Todd Graves, the founder of Raising Cane's, the best chicken fingers ever, who's a friend from Baton oh, Rouge. Yeah. So they opened one near me. We went. Um, he Look, he was a sponsor, but I'm not doing it because he was a sponsor. His story is awesome. So I just want to do something different and have a guy who started his own business with one shop and then turn it into a national brand. I just I love that Raising Cane's is just like, here are the three options. Yeah, that's it. Chicken fingers, chicken fingers, or chicken fingers on a bun. You can get four. You can get six. The uh, bun might be involved if you want. There's some fries. They did a great job. Um, you and I are going to go in a locker room and live watch the second half of a game at some point this week. Oh, just yeah. For, locker room. Locker room. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do it. I'm looking forward to it. That's we're gonna just going to do like, we'll just do an hour of some awesome second half of some game. Yeah, absolutely. Just for just for shits and giggles, I did. We the Thursday we we're doing the draft. It was so much fun to pop in there and uh, and just kind of shoot the shit as the draft was actually happening. Okay. Um, I think it would be fun to watch a game and just as a as a science experiment to see how it would go. So stay tuned. It'll be like a Tuesday night, Wednesday night. I'm just gonna text you, and we'll put no thought at all into it. And all of a sudden, we'll be in there. Yeah, it's a good chance that's what I'm doing anyway. So uh, shouldn't be a problem. I right. do it. Priscilla, great to see you as always. All right, that's it for the podcast. New rewatchables coming tomorrow. What about Bob? And then two more podcasts on Tuesday and Thursday on this feed. Some big celebrity guests coming up, uh, including somebody very important to me and uh, and a lot of other Boston fans of his specific team that has never been on this podcast. Stay tuned for that. Enjoy the rest of the day. See you on Tuesday. Tuesday.